Escaping the cave. And I'm getting really sick of guys named Todd. Zilla X-Pod. Todd Zilla X-Pod. No, like, I guess you can't see the Southern Cross in the in the Northern Hemisphere at all, can you? It's all no, like the Southern. I think that's why they call it the Southern Cross. Yeah, well, whatever. I never <laughs> saw it. Uh, you saw it? Yeah. You never pointed it out to me. I'm not very into stars. <laughs> and I can like find the Big Dipper, and that's about it. And Orion's Belt, who yeah. looks drunk down there. Yeah. But yeah, somebody pointed out the Southern Cross to me, and. Okay, there it is. So Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. I got to mention this. We got to. We have to talk about the song a little bit. Southern Cross, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. The live version, I think, is a huge improvement over the original studio version because the other one's just like, hey, if you see the Southern, it's really slow, and this one's got like some thump to it. You know. That was the last song. Yeah. What's this song? This is my porn music. Oh. Nice. Anyway, this is the uh, Escaping the Cave podcast. Off to a rip-roaring start today. Hey, the Tazil X Pod. I'm on Google Play, also on iTunes. If you want to subscribe, appreciate it. Head on over there. Got a brand new feed, and uh, you can get the links to that at uh, escapingthecave.com. Also, I forgot to mention, I, had, I, I neglected to mention in the last episode, Chris, I'm on the Twitter. It's great. Yeah, it's painful. <laughs> <laughs> ETC Pod on Twitter. Uh, if you want to be one of my uh, single-digit followers, I have eight now. Nice. After a week. Congratulations. Nice. You know, a bunch of them are. I'm also on Facebook. I have a Facebook page. Go over and like it and participate in the conversation. Participate in the discussion. <laughs> are they going to tweet in? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I don't have it open. Or anything. Anyway, joined by Chris Dyson one, one more time for our Chris. He was here uh, the last episode. This is uh, episode number six, by the way. Probably got another episode at least. I think we could fill that. I think what we're going to do today is I wanted to go back and uh, head back about, uh, I guess, 15 years for you. Start getting into the, some of the travel stuff, the domestic stuff. Some of the similarities, I guess, that we both experienced, maybe insights we both had or I guess individually had about uh, your walk across country and the uh, the hitchhiking and the traveling around the U.S. Uh, that we both have done, I guess, over the last 10 years or so, mm-hmm. right? The first thing, I guess, that comes to mind, the similarity that uh, I think was kind of neat, I think, when we discovered it was the fear. Mm-hmm. When uh, you first conceptualized your walk and I first uh, conceptualized this idea of vanishing off on back roads with a backpack, 15 books, and, you know, a huge uh, stereo that I could listen to <laughs> right out in the middle of the woods. But it took me a long time to get going. And I was really surprised, I think, uh, when we finally sat down and started talking about this, that you had conceptualized your walk cross-country, which uh, started in 03, right? Started in 03. Yeah. You would really want to go back to when I first started thinking about it. I was like 11. And that was with like my dad and I. My dad is a big camper and mm-hmm. hiker and everything, and we wanted to walk across Massachusetts on the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, and we had no idea what we were doing. So <laughs> I think I've told you this story. We, yeah. we uh, um, yeah, we were used to car camping, and so he packed both packs, and we packed like just a shitload of Dinty Moore canned beef stew. Yeah, in our backpacks. Nice canned goods, yeah. a lot of it. Yeah, I weighed like sixty pounds, 
at the time. Yeah, yeah. You did, not your bag. You actually weighed. Me, I weighed 60, but the bag probably did too. Yeah, right. And (laughs) and we went out there and I think we walked 10 miles, something like that, in the rain with ponchos on and decided that was not. This is horrible. Yeah. But I will say my dad made the call. So <laughs> you didn't quit, he did, right? Yeah, you know, well, you know, I was eleven. Yeah, he's the authority. He's, figure, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. He's my guardian. So, so that, that planted the seed. But moving forward, I mean, you, you, when you're you're an adult now, I guess when did you actually decide to actually do it? When, when did it move from speculation and an idea, something you'd like to do in the future, to you know what, I'm going to fucking do this? <laughs> well, that was like six months before I actually did the walk, but. Yeah. So like when I was 11, I was really upset about quitting that walk. Yeah. I didn't like it. Um, and that just somewhere along the line evolved into I'm going to walk across Massachusetts to I'm going to walk across the U.S. So that was somewhere over middle school, high school. And then as high school came to an end and I was not interested in looking at colleges, um, I think I applied to one. And, or I know I applied to one. It was the only one I got into. Um, but I... Um, I was taking a year off and I decided, oh, okay, I'm going to walk cross country. And so that was 18. So that's what I kind of figure as any version of a realistic plan to go walk cross country. But then it didn't actually happen until I was 26. Right. So about or eight, 27, basically. Yeah. But so eight, nine years between yeah. when you decided to do it. And a lot of that, some of that had to do with what? Uh, <laughs> well, being busy, I was in film school mm-hmm. and had a career, but. But my excuse was always like, I don't know, I don't know how to pack a pack. That was the big one. I was yeah. like, I don't know, I don't understand how to yeah. pack a backpack. Yeah, that was mine. I, I yeah. used that for about two years. And, <laughs> and maybe, you know, maybe that roots to the, the 11-year-old incident of packing it with Dinty Moore, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But I kept picturing like, you know, being off in, you know, Kansas or Wyoming or someplace like that and being without something that I desperately need for yeah. survival. And um, the clincher was, I was dating a girl when I was 26. She was 19. She was taking a year off of college in between her first and second year at Columbia. And she kept telling me, she was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to go live in this house in Ohio with a friend of mine. I was like, that sounds awful. Why? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was so like, going to Ohio on yeah, purpose. <laughs> well, yeah, I was like, why are you doing that? Well, you should come walk cross country with me. And she was kind of a Kerouacian kind of fan, that kind of... Well, she was going to Columbia, and they, her and her friends kept arguing if who had the room that Kerouac was actually in, because mm. they figured they were in his dorm. And so she was like, yeah, that sounds great. And I think her agreeing to do it was kind of the same mentality of me wanting to do it when I was 18. It was kind of like, yeah. Eh. Yeah. You know, like... <laughs> sure. Sort of... Sort of, sort of serious about it, but you know, not making any moves toward doing it. But me, I took it seriously. I just quit my film career. I'd been out of college. I didn't know what I was doing. I was working in coffee shops, and so that became my my project. Was okay, yeah, we're gonna do this, and that's what made it serious for me. Was it took somebody else to want to do it with me to then make me. I, I mean, I made all the arrangements, all the plans. I saved the money and bought all the gear and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't have done it probably without her deciding that she wanted to, to do that walk with me. It was like an outside motivator. Somebody else kind of holding you accountable. 
as well. Who wasn't at all. Yeah, but, <laughs> but yeah, yeah right. in my mind, yeah, yeah. it might have been a, a sort of a two way street with that as well. She committed to it and thinking, well, he'll probably back out, and you didn't. And she maybe it was a case where she didn't want to be the one either who <laughs> yeah. decided not to go. Well, I mean, she was excited about it when yeah. we did go. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did leave. She walked through Georgia with me over like two months. That's still, I mean, a lot of people listening, you walked across Georgia. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that's, no, I'm not. That's not a small, yeah, that's not a small deal. At yeah, all. I'm not sneering at it at yeah. all. Um, no, it was a great time. Um, then we we broke up shortly after that. Or she went. She was hurt. She wrenched her knee and um, actually made it another like 400 miles on this wrenched knee. Wow. She made it to Sewanee, Tennessee, before we got to a friend of mine's house and and she flew out from there out of Nashville. And then the rest of it, I just. I know that when I was putting my stuff together, and it took me about four years to get from concept, you know, this idea that I came up with in the uh, stream of consciousness writing. I went into that in another episode, I think, probably two back from this one, I think. I'd never heard of Chris McCandless. I'd never heard of any of the, you know, the folks that a lot of people that Mm -hmm. we run into DFI at this point. But I had this thought. I'm like, I, I just, my radio career was on life support at this point i right. was raging every time i went to this radio station down there in florida and i was like i fucking hate this i feel like such a fucking whore <laughs> every time i go in there you know and uh we were getting ready <laughs> or i was coming to the point where i was getting ready to just basically move on to something else and i had no idea what the hell that was going to be mm-hmm. you know i'd put yeah, by that point almost 10 years into radio it was what i did it's my skill set right and in my early 30s at this point i'm gonna start over right and I uh, had this idea. I was sitting there writing and pictured of me in a backpack, like I said, with a bunch of books. And I thought I was going to walk out maybe into southern Georgia or Alabama. You know, we lived in the Florida panhandle at that point. With a bunch of books. It's <laughs> <laughs> the Dinty Moore. <laughs> I've seen you do it. Yeah. Not, well, no, not with one book. I only took one book. Oh, really? Don Quixote. Yeah, I went into that too. The thing that got me in the beginning... Uh, was that it, it took me four years to get out there because I, I, I imagined everything, including what you mentioned, you know, like being stranded someplace, needing something mm-hmm. that I couldn't get my hands on basically for survival or whatever. And I was, you know, thinking of all these people who were going to be out to rob me or get me or kidnap me or throw me off a mountain or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was right. so, there were everything you could possibly imagine. I did. Mm-hmm. And it, it hamstrung me mm-hmm. for a number of years. I, I was never prepared enough. Right. Because I would always come up with something else, you know, that would keep me from doing it that I had to get ready for. Yeah, I always had yeah. some other option, too. You know, it was like I was in college mm-hmm. for a while, so I didn't even really think about it over that time, except talking about it to people over drinks, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, that that happened, too, because I, I kept doing radio. I found the, uh, when we got out to Colorado, right. uh, about a year later, I guess. I, in fact, I took a ra- uh, full-time radio job in Taos mm-hmm. when we moved out to New Mexico, taking that that gig, and then when we got to Denver... Um, I was, yeah, I was still doing part-time radio driving from Denver to Breckenridge. I found the, the Rockies gig at the ballpark doing camera. You know, I had mm-hmm. other things going on that mm-hmm. didn't really put this front and center for me until the, the morning show thing ended in Santa Fe. Right. It was like this point, no more of this. Right. I am not going to do this again. And I had, I tried to find other work and everything. Nothing was happening in Santa Fe. I'm like, fuck this. I joined the Carney thing. <laughs> well, no, I, I think and, it's important uh, to mention that the you taking the radio gig, me taking this bartending gig mm-hmm. yesterday, or going back to coffee shops and, you know, that kind of thing. When I quit film, 99, mm-hmm. I quit film and left and went to Denver, came back and was not interested in getting into the film gig, took up some shitty coffee shop job in yeah. 
in Brooklyn and the first mention of a film job that I could get, I jumped back on it. Did it again for another six or seven months. Safe. And you know what you're doing, right? Safe. It's familiar. Um, you know how to live that way. And that's, I think that's an entrapment. How you, mm. how it buys into this whole fear thing that you, that we're talking about this, this idea of like, you want to break out of your life. You got to break out of those strings, you know? Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> and you got to take those risks, I guess, but... You can't keep reading the same chapter expecting a, diff- a different outcome. I guess crutching on, yeah, old things and going either the things that distract you and kind of keep you from, uh, or at least kept me, and it sounds like you, the old familiar sort of lures back into the comfort or at least secure life mm-hmm. that keeps you from, you know, back in 03 with you going down to you started in Savannah, right? And actually getting on mm-hmm. however you got to Savannah and actually taking those first few steps, the things that kind of stop you from... Mm-hmm. Uh, doing that with me, it was like I said, it was radio. It was the I had familiar options, right? You know, until that last gig uh, ended, it yeah, it became really apparent that this is not the this is not. I'm going to either drink myself to death, right, <laughs> or yeah. I'm going to end up. It's easy to stay in those. Yeah, before I left, uh, like I said, I was creating. I had these, you know, our buddy Eric the Dutchman. He has this. <laughs> he told me about his idea about stories, these internal narratives that we like to tell ourselves and scare ourselves with, and you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I had an innumerable amount of these things beforehand. Everything was going to kill me, or I was going to starve, or I was going to run out of water. I needed to carry fifteen gallons of water just because. And the thing that I found out when I left, when you dropped me off in two thousand eight, one of the very first things that I wrote in my journal was that everything I was fucking worried about mm-hmm. was ridiculous. It was like a little molehill mm-hmm. that I turned into Kilimanjaro. Right. You get out there, you start, you take the first few steps, and all of a sudden it's not speculation anymore. Because once you get going, once your feet start moving, you're in the mm-hmm. present. You know, you're in the moment. Mm-hmm. And you just figure it the fuck out. Right. You don't sit there and try to plan every fucking step, for me anyway, I had no, I changed directions four times a day. I couldn't sit there and, you know, I was aiming the, the first, uh, the first, uh, I, I was headed toward Nebraska. Right. And uh, I thought and, I was going to go east. Right. You ended up right outside of Utah, didn't you? Yeah. I ended up in, in Montrose riding with a cop killer, but, you know, Dennis. And it just, it, you get there, you get in the moment, and then life starts to happen. Mm-hmm. And you adjust, you improvise. You know, and it's, it's sort of like that old, uh, the improv rule, you know, the rule of agreement. You don't sit there and just try to, you know, this is a skill I maybe, right. I, I haven't that quite That you can't learned. say no. I haven't <laughs> learned that yet, but it's, it's an idea. It's a concept anyway. You just take what comes, you adjust to it. If you need water, you go get water. Mm-hmm. We're not in sub-Saharan Africa here. Right. You can get water just about, and I, I don't know how many hours I spent thinking myself into knots and how much gear I bought to filter water. Right. Well, and that's why, like, when we were hitching in 10 or 11 or something like that, I started going really minimalist. Yeah. Remember, I started switching into, like, wait a second, I keep buying these big bags, and then I keep filling these big bags. Yeah, right. And I, I don't need to do that. I'm pretty resourceful. <laughs> yeah. You know, I stopped yeah, yeah. carrying, remember, you were picking at me for a little while for not carrying a sleeping pad anymore, which right. yeah. was not the best. Uh, well, I don't know. I'd still, if yeah, I went back out hitching again, I would probably continue to not carry a sleeping pad because, right. you know, I just carried a tarp, which was far more versatile and I could throw it on top of sagebrush and that worked as the loft that I needed and it was mm-hmm. relatively comfortable when you're comparing that to like rocks and snow. So <laughs> Okay. Yeah. But I mean, 
No, I think it's um, the eight ounce sleeping pad, the eight ounce thermorest for me for the insulation and the ease of just sticking it <laughs> under there and not having to go find cardboard. It's just interesting because how many times have I learned this lesson that it, that you do take that first step out and then I mean for me the two things you need to get going is you need a you need a light at the end of the tunnel somewhere doesn't matter if it moves it's just like the Walcrest country it was Seattle right I don't know what it was on the hitch the, that goal was just following the gut so yeah, that right. was like a much hazier light at the end yeah, of the right. tunnel but it was like it felt like something to follow i guess it's yeah. the, that string in the dark and then you just need to see where the first few two three first two or three steps i always equated those goals and those destinations the light at the end of the tunnel mm-hmm. occurred to me later on that was bait it was yeah. something to look at to get you out the door and set you at least psychologically set you in a direction but once i got out there Every time, the trip never looked like it was supposed to in the end. I mean, it's, it's where the plans ha thing came in on the, on the right. blog that I used to, to write up because I took a trip in um, 20, well, no, the, the, actually going back to 08, Santa Barbara. You know, I mm-hmm. took a train out there. The goal uh-huh, was to see the Pacific Coast Highway. Right. You know, you get there, there it is, and you go. Right. And everything just sort of sets itself up after that. It's so pointless at least in that situation, I'm not saying you shouldn't set goals and you shouldn't walk toward a specific goal. If you had, like, you had a goal of Seattle, you know, you right. weren't going to be aiming and, and shooting off toward Guadalajara. But look at, at that point, look at, but, like, the course of these trips that I've done. You yeah. know, like, the walk cross country was my first, like, major yeah. trip, right? right? There I had a hard goal. I had a hard yeah. form as to how I wanted to get there. You know, I had rules for myself and all these things. And that was to just get me out of the shell of, like, right. you know... I don't have an apartment or like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, things yeah. like this around me. But then you get into the next thing was, I don't know, you, I guess you jump up to the hitch, mm-hmm. uh, hitching around, where it's like, I, I didn't have a, a hard goal. I right. had this strange, like, okay, I'm following my intuition. Mm-hmm. And that seems like that's going to lead me to the community that I think I'm going to have. And it, and it did. I had no idea where it was or right, what it yeah. would look like, or you know. But I think I say... That sense of like bait or that's why I say that light, you need that light at the end of the tunnel and it's irrelevant whether it moves around because, and I think that's important to say because it has to be able to move around. Yeah. You can't be rigid and monolithic about it because life changes. Yeah. People change. Right. And things happen. You know, you've got to be, I think you've got to have that flexibility, even if you're not talking in terms of traveling. You know, if you're talking about stepping off, there's a metaphor involved here. If you're talking about stepping off, and starting a business or something like that. It's always the what ifs. Well, what if it fails? What if this happens? What if this happens? Right. What if, that <clears throat> After the first step, you've got to be, I think anyway. You have to be flexible. Flexible and you've got to be able to improvise and adjust to whatever life throws at you. It's not too completely dissimilar to this at all. I don't no, think. and like where I'm going now is I'm coming out of Peru with this this goal, this light at the end of the tunnel of like, mm-hmm. okay, now I want to get land and I have a a hazily clear you know, concept yeah, yeah, yeah. of what I want to do. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty flexible of that down to the core goals of what I know that I want, which I don't know, those are probably even flexible. Sure. Um, but a home, I want a community. I feel like it's really important for me to learn how to stay in one spot, uh, which would be a major achievement <laughs> in my life. Yeah. yeah, I think those are the important things that I'm after and whatever it looks like is how it comes out. That's why when people ask me what's the what's this business plan for the for the land coming up, it's yeah. like, well, I'll tell you the kind of vague goal and 
Yeah. I recognize that come off as flaky, but you know what? I'm not looking for a bank loan, so. Right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. This kid Jordan that I met... uh, down in Phoenix, a couple uh, about a year and a half ago, it was on the on the West Coast trip just before. Oh, in the bus uh, station. Yeah, before Oompa Loompa became uh, president. <clears throat> mm-hmm. His very first trip out, and I don't know how much uh, thought and effort, and you know how many stories he had told himself, and how long it had taken him to get there. But he was obviously kind of shitting himself at the bus station because he was he was in Phoenix. He was going to Flagstaff. It was pretty late in the year. It was like late October in Flagstaff. Oh, yeah, it's not not exactly warm. He was going to get off the bus in Flagstaff, and he had no idea where he was going. I liked him immediately. Nice. Kind of gave a little brief background on the stuff that I had done, at least. And he just had a ton of questions. He's like, what about this? And what about this? What if this happens? What if this happens? It's like, dude, I wish I had run into me <laughs> in this situation, <laughs> you know, like like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Calm down. Take a breath. Mm-hmm. Step off the bus. Quit trying to figure everything out. Because it's going to fucking change anyway. You, there's there's no way you can figure all this shit out. You cannot prepare for every eventuality that's going to be thrown your way. And okay. most of the ones that are scaring you won't happen. Right. And the ones that you need to worry about, you have no concept of. And you're going to have to learn to figure out and adapt on the fly. Calm yourself down. Right. Have and a drink. Go have fun. Yeah, and yeah. most of the preparations you make for the ones you are thinking of that do happen, you... Either prepared wrongly or... <laughs> yeah, you don't know what you're doing. Right, exactly. You're doing it in your fucking living room. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, that's, that's how I, you know, when mm-hmm. I left, uh, when you dropped me off at Jackson Lake State Park, mm-hmm. 60 pounds, I got down Coyote and, and electric clippers in my bag. You know, I thought I had <laughs> yeah, to prepare to cut, yeah. <laughs> and I thought I had to prepare to cut my hair, and I, I wanted this book, and I thought it would inspire me and everything, and a quarter mile down the road, I'm feeling every fucking comfort item in that bag. I don't need this. I don't. This is fucking heavy. This is fucking stupid. Why am I carrying bananas? They're just getting squished on the side of my bag anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thank God uh, I left the phone in the car because <laughs> I let my felt. Mm-hmm. I, I like to think that either Jesus or the universe was toying with me and pulled the cell phone out of my pocket and onto the floor of the car. So you would have to come back and bring my cell phone back and I could throw all of that extra shit <laughs> into the trunk of the Saturns. And I lightened myself up probably 20 pounds. Yeah, the Ingrid and I, when we got dropped off in Savannah, we just hit a dumpster. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a dumpster <laughs> in a post office. How much extra shit did you have? <laughs> From what we dumped the first day, it was probably about 20 pounds. <laughs> but yeah. let's not forget that I brought my 12-year-old fat black cat who, <laughs> who we did not dump in a dumpster. <laughs> like, uh, God, thank you. Yeah. yeah. No, no, she stayed on the back. I even made her a little shelter out of my little like rain jacket and tent poles. And pictures of that at one time. Mm-hmm. No, I still got those. Yeah. yeah. And um, that was three days in. That was after she'd been suffering in Georgia heat for, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> for three days, like uh, sitting on top of my pack. Fortunately, the friend who had dropped us off in Savannah was down in Florida and for a week. Hmm. And so we walked about six days and then I called her and, you know, when you're walking and you're just starting out walking, I think we were doing an average of maybe eight, eight to 10 miles a day. And we started in Savannah, which is maybe 10 miles east of the highway. So we had to walk one, our first day was getting, walking all day and getting under the highway. And I think we camped under the highway the first night. So we were maybe 50 miles off the, off the highway. So she just... Came over, picked up the cat, and went took home. Took you six days to get there. Took there like 45 minutes to drive over there something or something like, like that. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember like two months into it, we we ran into some these two guys who had broken down on the side of the road with a boat. 
you know, we're just walking along. Hey, you all right? You need any help or anything? We got a phone. And yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, this is 2003. So, <laughs> yeah, good deal, man. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, we got one of these. Yeah, <laughs> hey, we can call home. Um, and uh, we started talking with them. We're like, they're like, where'd you guys come out of? And we're like, oh, Savannah. And they're like, we just came from there like seven hours ago. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and we'd been walking a month or two or something like that. <laughs> I always hated that because I, I, I started out with the idea of walking back in 08. Mm-hmm. I was going to do a lot of walking in my head anyway. And I, I quickly figured out with Dennis that my sweet spot was hitching. That's right. where I was finding whatever it was that I needed to find. It wasn't really, I liked walking, but it's good for me to get rides. And uh, yeah, I figured that uh, I, I always got a kick out of like spending a day walking somewhere or spending several hours trying to get somewhere and you get in a car mm-hmm. and sometimes they go back, you know, to take right. you which way you're going, if you want to go south or whatever, you just whatever. Every now and then that happens. And it's like, I just spent eight fucking hours doing this and this guy got me here in like 15 minutes. Right, yeah. You know, all that effort and he's sitting in here with his air conditioner blowing on him listening to ACDC. <laughs> yeah, see, that never bothered me at <laughs> all. I found, it anno- I found it amusing. I wouldn't say it annoyed me, yeah. but it just, it, it really highlighted... Yeah. what I was doing, you know, oh, for that, sure. cent- that front and center that I'm doing this the hard way. Yeah. Uh, we spent a week in, um, Statesboro. That was like the first time that we really stopped, uh, down Georgia. Well, I spent a week in Statesboro. Ingrid went home for her uh, sister's graduation or grandmother's 90th birthday or something like that. Anyway, so I was just there on my own and I ended up making friends with people and they're yeah. driving me around all over the place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going like two days back and oh, two yeah. days forward, get <laughs> previews of the land and all this kind of stuff. That's kind of neat. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was fun. Actually, yeah, you can make, it, make a little psychological topographical map of knowing where you're going to be heading and kind of psychologically preparing yourself oh, yeah. where you're going. Looking well, for like, camping spots. <laughs> yeah, like when we were walking along, I was like, oh, that's... I was like, I think I'm pretty sure there's a convenience store up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is, of course, long before smartphones. <laughs> oh, yeah. Go on a little bit more about that, because you, you, you were doing this in 03, and I, I think over the course of two summers, correct, mm-hmm. to finish it. So you started off in, in Georgia. Mm-hmm. It took, what, a month to get across Georgia? Two. Yeah. I had told Ingrid. Ingrid was my girlfriend at the time. Yeah. Uh, and she was the one, like I say, was the catalyst, basically, that made me take the walk seriously and plan it and actually do it. But when when we were doing that and I was saving up money, I was saying, okay, well, let's budget this out at a dollar a mile. We'll walk 20, 25 miles. We got $20, $25 to spend, mm-hmm. right? And that worked out pretty well when it was just me. But I also said I'd like to average like 10 miles a day. What I meant by that was like I'd like to walk 20, 25 miles a day and then, you know, meet some cool people, chill out, hang out with them, whatever. She took that to mean she's not going to walk any more than 10 miles a day. So there were times we're like pushing to make 10, 10. miles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like three hours and 20 minutes of walking. Yeah. I walked a pretty steady it's 20 miles, 20, 20, a mile in 20 minutes. It's a nice leisurely day, though. Yeah. Real well, we stopped leisurely. a lot for soft serve because down in Georgia, it's like 69 cents for a cone. Mm, and the heat. Yeah. That's got to be glorious. Oh, that was every time we saw one. Yeah. We stopped. <laughs> How'd you find the South? Great. I mean, everyone was super hospitable. Um, I'd say Georgia, we were put up the most than any other state. I mean, we also spent the most time in that state. Tennessee took me, I was on my own in Tennessee. I took 17 days to get through that. I think I camped out seven of them. 
houses the rest of the time or like people houses or yeah there was a ranger house one night but the rest were people putting me up or something just to give like the the sort of the nuts and bolts basics of you were you were carrying a tent mm-hmm. so you were stealth camping or you didn't even stealth camp did you there i was but yeah. the whole idea was i didn't know what i mean like i'm a yankee so right. i was terrified about the southern cops um <laughs> well and this goes back to that fear thing actually so I don't like snakes at all, mm-hmm. and I know the South is full of them. Southern cops were freaking me out. Those were two the really main things. Rednecks also I was kind of sure. worried about. Well, that's why I asked about the South, because yeah. I think a lot of people, uh, they have the, I have the same exact stereotype in my head. Mm-hmm. I'm not really afraid. I, I'm more of a spider guy. You know that. Right, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, rednecks and cops. You know, remember Ray? Mm-hmm. We talked to a guy. I feel like I'm getting completely off, but a guy we met at Slab City in 2010, he was uh, actually walking for a cause at this he point. He was trying to break the world record. Yeah. A few I think he things. did break the world record. Nah, didn't he didn't he? get there. His hip, uh. his hip fell apart on him up in uh. like Oregon. But anyway, he was going through the South, and I think he got robbed down there. He was out in the middle of nowhere, and he said some, uh, some good old boys pulled off, said, well, we're going to be taking that away from you. They were really friendly about it, but they basically took whole bunch of shit off his back mm. and that's the kind of the i've heard that a few times <laughs> you know what i mean no As, we didn't have any problems yeah like that's that. that's why i was asking how how the the stories and maybe the preconception the preconceived notions about the stereotypes that you may run into in the south how it compared to uh what you actually found well i mean everyone's experience is going to be different obviously sure no, um, i'm asking you though you're at my microphone <laughs> right no no i'm just i'm prefacing <laughs> yeah. it with that with you know yeah, yeah. I did have situation. I had only one situation that I can think of where we felt threatened, and that was fuck. I don't remember where that was, but it was down in Georgia, and um, we were looking for a place to camp, and we went up into some construction site. I think it was outside of Atlanta. Started there were woods up there. It was pretty hilly. It looked like an easy place to kind of like pop our tent up because back then. We were just finding brush and hiding out in the brush and Mm -hmm. and pitching our tent and camping out. And anyways, we got up over a hump and found a homeless camp in there. Oh, yeah. And there was a dude in there. (laughs) He looked like James Brown. He was just real slick. You know, he had that same kind of like, I don't know what they do when you like straighten out. uh, They straighten the kinks out of their hair and they like grease it back and everything. He had that going on. So he was a homeless guy. Uh, yeah. Was he, I mean, he, he was living in a pretty sweet pad. Is he slicking that shit back? He had a pretty sweet, <laughs> yeah, had sweet nice little like bunker set up in wow. there. I mean, this was a, a trent, in, entrenched homeless like kind of camp, like yeah, a gypsy tent, camp, a tent city. Yeah, basically, yeah. it was tucked away in the woods, and um, and he welcomed us with a real big smile, and immediately, I, I don't want to speak for. Well, I'm pretty sure Ingrid didn't trust him either, but um. But immediately we were kind of like, okay, you know, like, you know me, I'm pretty open, trusting kind of person and trusting with a, you know, with with an edge to it. So, (laughs) so however you want to put that, I don't know. Anyways, I was open to the idea that maybe he wasn't as shady as, as I was assuming that he was because of my like feeling for him. Um, But yeah, I mean, it just like, I was... I was keeping an eye on him for sure, mm-hmm. um, but taking him at his word of like, the, oh yeah, no, you can come stay here, and this is cool, and we're like, okay, and we're looking at yeah. it, and we're looking at him, and I just kind of like, 
I don't know, we were with him maybe five minutes or something like that. And I was like, yeah, you know what? You guys seem pretty cool over here. So we're we're going to, you know, we're, we'll keep on going and we'll find somewhere else. So, but mm-hmm. thank you for the invite, whatever. And yeah. we took off. And as we're walking away, Ingrid's like, yeah, he was checking out your, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, different things on my pack, like the camelback and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what he yeah. was looking at. I, but. Ran, I ran into a guy in Maryland, and uh, this mm-hmm. was relatively recent. This was, uh, I think, 2013, 2012. Mm-hmm. I'd been dropped off in uh, uh, Cumberland mm-hmm. at a late afternoon, and it was like, I took this late ride. I usually use, you know, I don't usually typically hitchhike around dark because it's hard to find a place to sleep after dark, right? Right. Especially if you get dropped in an urban area. Anyway, I did. I took this ride. It was the very first ride of this little stretch and uh, got dropped off in, I don't know, somewhere around Winchester. I don't think it's Winchester, but whatever, around Whatever. Yeah. And get dropped off at a gas station, go in and get a pack of cigarettes. Uh, Was I smoking then? I don't know. I went in to get a pack of something. Right. And I come out and there's this guy there who was, like you said, I mean, he was real friendly. Right. Hey, how you doing? How you doing, buddy? Right. And by by then, my bat my bat signal had been or my spidey senses, I guess, is what I call them. They they were blaring because I'd been out enough, and I know that when somebody's that fucking enthusiastic and that friendly right. and that welcoming, watch out. Right. They're trying, and he was looking me up and down, and he was telling me that he had a place to camp right up these railroad tracks, like 100 yards up these railroad tracks, man. You come on yeah. back here with me. You come on back here with me. And I'm like, <laughs> that's really nice. Yeah, you want a pack of cigarettes? Here you go. Uh, that's what it was. I went in and bought him a pack of cigarettes to get, just to kind of edge you, get him like, right, leave get me the off, fuck yeah. up. You got something, go away now. Right. And uh, But he, he was really aggressive mm-hmm. about it. I mean, too, too aggressive. And I'm pretty sure that had I went back there, either I would have been hit with something and oh yeah you would have been looted or yeah. i would have woke up the next morning and my shit's gone either yeah. way and i went as far i mean i, 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 I probably was, both yeah i was pretty paranoid because i hadn't hitchhiked in a while at this point it was my first trip in probably two years so i wasn't really salty yet but i was sharp enough to to keep my head on a swivel right and i walked the opposite way i went the wrong way down this road <laughs> far enough to get away where mm. i was out of line of sight crossed over walked through a little patch of woods, behind mm-hmm. another building, through a, uh, a hotel parking lot, jumped the fence uh, to the interstate where I'd gotten off and uh, hopped over the on-ramp mm-hmm. and then went out on the other side of the woods next to the highway, always like, is he behind? You know, just, oh, is he back there? No, no, no. Right, I, mean, yeah. I, I went through some special op shit to avoid this one fucking guy that I probably could have beat up anyway. No, well, I I mean, that's kind of like what we did in Georgia. So like that guy, I feel like I should redefine the way that I approached this guy because it sounds like I was giving him a shot in the beginning. Basically, I was being friendly. Right. And my my concept has always been like, I'll be friendly to whoever. Sure. As soon as I saw somebody over there, we weren't staying there. It was just figuring out the polite way to opt out. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. We had no consideration of staying there. You know, it's me with the cigarettes. You're trying to be uh, polite and friendly and, and yeah. make sure you're like not he offered heavy. us food. And it's like, no, you know, like, why? Well, I, I don't know what's in the food. <laughs> you well, you know? can take that either way. Well, I gave you food. What are you giving me? That could I've seen shit. Right. Like that happen. Shit like yeah. that can happen. Yeah. But no, I mean, we just we played it off. No, cool. Thanks. Mm-hmm. You know, but when we left. So this was a hilly country. We were getting in the foothills, of the Appalachians there. Yeah. And we saw that it wasn't just this guy there. This is the whole camp. Mm-hmm. Right. We knew it was a whole camp. He said, like, you know, oh, there's more down in there. You can camp down in there. It's cool. Yeah. And so I don't know how far this camp extended. So when we left, we went, oh, you know, it's sunset. 
we needed to find a place to stay soon. Yeah. But yeah. I didn't know how far that camp sprawled, and I didn't know if word was spreading to keep your eyes out yeah. to see where they duck in. Right. Uh, so that was the only night that we slept with a knife under the pillow. I could see that. Yeah. Definitely. And we only had a knife because the last guy that we had stayed with insisted that we take two knives. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I still have those knives. They're rusted to shit, but <laughs> they were yeah. like, you know, they're little souvenirs or whatever, yeah. but... I didn't like carrying a knife on me. I think I ended up mailing them home out of Missouri yeah. or something like that. I always that. did. I, I still do. Yeah. Always. Remember that uh, I have a, the Smith & Wesson knife that I got the very first trip on my way to your place. Uh-huh. Picked it up in Pueblo, Colorado, on the way from Santa Fe to Denver. Yeah. And it's heavy. It's like a full pound. I mean, it's a heavy-ass yeah. knife, but you can use it. It's not like I think I'm a special ops badass or something, but... Uh, it's, it, I always have carried either that or a smaller one because I figure if you're in a situation, it's stupid in my head. I mean, I understand completely where you're coming from, and mm-hmm. I actually I agree with that mm-hmm. to a great degree because if you're carrying something, you better use it right. or you're going to wear it one way or another. It's right. either going to be in your back or on, you know, cracked over your head. But I've always carried this thing uh, because I figure if I grab it, even if I don't open it, and even if I don't want to, it's heavy enough where I can hit him on the head with it right. or at least partially defend myself right. a little bit and you know it might work i don't know on a dog right. you know if you're being you know mauled by a, I guess right. a pomeranian yeah 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 <laughs> you know something but i've always well, i had dogs come after me on the walk for sure yeah i never had to deal with that as much as you did because of the hitching mm-hmm. but yeah it's always like i always wanted that there i typically don't even take it out of the backpack now unless i'm in a really sketchy situation mm-hmm. but yeah i the first year maybe two right. i always had it where i could get my hand on it just because you don't know Right. Yeah. But nothing ever, never had to use it. No, I just didn't even want to carry it. I mean, I had a knife on me. I had a Leatherman. Yeah, but, but that's, that's a tool. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I had it. It was not a weapon. I never thought of it as a weapon mm-hmm. and never would have tried to use it as a weapon. Before we move on from that camp thing, you know, the uh, the thing I was thinking of that it reminded me of, and I, mm-hmm. and I wonder what the psychological difference is. It reminds me of Slab City, mm-hmm. the, the how you were describing this homeless camp. Yeah, you know that it probably was. And psychologically, you know, I guess maybe it's because we ex- we knew what to expect in Slab City. Well, What's I mean, difference? this place compared to that place, one I never heard of it before. Right, whereas Slab City, I had. Right. Um. So yeah, psychologically, I think that does a lot. Yeah. Um. Also, I think environmentally, it was in a forest, in a hilly forest that's tucked away. Oh, yeah. Okay. Slab Cities is wide open. wide open in a desert. There's still no one around who's going to stop anything, but psychologically, again, I think that wide openness yeah, yeah, makes you feel like you have a chance. Yeah, at least you can see, <laughs> you think you can see who's coming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right? yeah and they're yeah. not hiding in the shadows, I guess. Right. It's weird, though. And you can also see the size of it. I think seeing the size of it has a big effect because you can tell how big a community it is. Yeah. And you kind of have an idea of what kind of people are there, mm-hmm. which slabs, I think, is... Yeah, okay. rainbow people like gun-toting mm. preachers who we ran into yeah, and gun running. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and like and snowbirds coming yeah. down from the north, you know, million-dollar motorhomes yeah. running on solar power with these fugitives that you know have run away from something. Right over and, here, living next to each other. And I think there's something to being able to see all of it. There's also a community spirit there. Yeah. I mean, you had like. Week, weekly shows you have social clubs you have all there's an infrastructure there which shows intention and design right you yeah. know yeah even if it's rudimentary mm-hmm. whereas this homeless camp is i don't i don't know anything about it i don't yeah. know what's there i know all i know is that it's shacks put up you yeah. know 
Yeah. And and I don't know why. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know anything about them. I can't see any kind of intention or infrastructure there. Or if it's just people banding together loosely wonder, or tightly, I don't know. I wonder how the reaction would have been. I know this is an abstract thought and <clears throat> it takes a little imagination. But if you were like walking, I don't know, through whatever road that is that goes through Nyland next to the Salton Sea and you happen to take a little detour and stumbled upon Slab City not knowing what the hell it was. I wonder how that... I probably wouldn't have stayed. Yeah, slabs? Yeah, I don't, no, I, I don't think so. I don't think I would have either. I mean, maybe with Leonard's, like, welcome. Yeah. It, it looks like a Christian camp, if you didn't know any better. I, that would have run me out. I th- I'm not saying It wouldn't have be, scared me. Yeah, it would have... I just wouldn't want to be there. No, but if I was looking for a place to stay, I'm fine to stay in a Christian camp. I can mm-hmm. play that role for a little while. Yeah. I know you can't. No, I did. <laughs> no, I did up in uh, Fort Morgan. Yeah. I had to stay at that, 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 that halfway house when the tornado Oh, came right. Through. Okay. That was basically a Christian. He was trying to save me. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was all right. He no, and I, I, you know, I've told you that a million times of like, and we've talked about this a million times of like figuring out that translation um, between, I mean, like for me, the hitching was a, was pilgrimage. You know, it was like following my gut, following this right. intuition. That's, yeah, yeah. that's pilgrimage. You know, it was kind of for spiritual reasons. We were talking about synchronicity, energy yeah. flow, all this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, I see that as a pilgrimage. Yeah, I guess. You know, I'm, I'm, I am projecting my current mindset, I think, to back then. I think maybe had I stumbled upon Slab City and seen, you know, Salvation Mountain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then, yeah, I probably would have approached that like I did in Randleman. Right, and just see it as a bed. Yeah, for, like, oh, well, either that or, well, why is this here? Right, yeah, yeah, that's you know? true. Yeah, we were always about Well, oh, I mean, like what Leonard had going on was kind of interesting anyways. No, it was fantastic. He's it talking was, about like, weird. He's talking about <laughs> Leonard Leonard Knight, by the way. He's, he, he's, he's dead now. I think he died in 2011. <laughs> I don't know. Something yeah. like that. Maybe, maybe a Weren't little. Weren't we there in 20? No, we were yeah, there in 2010. 10. No, he died in 2014. That's what it was. And he's, uh, if you've seen the movie Into the Wild... Uh, he's featured in that. He's the crazy guy building the not crazy. Yeah, he was a, he was a little nutty. He was very emphatic about love. He was eccentric. Uh, but he was the guy that was building the uh, big uh, tribute to God in the California desert at Slab City. The old guy, and that was actually him featured in the movie. He, pl- he played talking his real philosophy. Yeah, he was talking to yeah. He was not acting. Yeah, it was he was talking to a camera. Somebody had asked him a question. And that is exactly who he was. <laughs> well, knowing Leonard, he might not have even known the camera was there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The funny thing about that, though, I mean, I have a, a really great. I have some video of you with Leonard. The, yeah. I think the 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 sound might be messed up, but I've still got that. And I've got some pictures of you with with him where you were seeing because Chris decided to volunteer and help. Uh, Clean up after a uh, tropical, like a flooding. They yeah, had some that real... snowstorm that my aunt and I got stuck in. Yeah, up in Big Bear. Yeah, turned, was a flood. Turned into rain <laughs> in over, the desert. <laughs> over the desert there, and uh, Chris volunteered to help Leonard clean up his his place there for a little while. But yeah, that was a really fascinating thing. And the, the interesting thing that I took out of Leonard was he was like I said, he was featured into into the wild. Mm-hmm. Chris McCandless stayed at Slab City, I guess, over the course. Of a like a month or two, or yeah, something over like the course that. of a winter, I think it was maybe mm. maybe three or something like that. Leonard had no idea who he was. He's that guy that died in a van up in. As I heard him say this. this is, yeah. I'm not making this up. Somebody had asked him about that. No, 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 no. Well, I mean, how could he? It's like, <clears throat> does he remember us? <laughs> I mean, no, absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but it's, it, but it's, it's made the, the same thing he was. I understand that. I, yeah. I you know, intellectually, I understand that. But I think most people, I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to say most people. I think there are some people that think that McCandless was a celebrity, maybe when he was there. You know, that he made such a huge impression on everybody at Slab City. So oh, they're going right, to, you yeah. know, what I mean. They're going to think that 
Well, Leonard, what was he like? I don't fucking know. <laughs> well, that's the funny thing about Into the Wild with like Chris McCandless and all that. It's like that's a it's a character sketch on a on a type of person that he used McCandless for. No, Krakow. Krakow. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, even if you read the book, McCandless is not really. I mean, he's kind of like the 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 center thread, but he's not what the book's about. I wouldn't say. Hmm. You know, I mean, he cuts away to that dude in the 30s who disappeared in Utah. He cuts away to... He's talking about himself a lot of the time. That yeah. This guy, Chris McCandless, fits. Yeah. You know, and is a modern-day version of of this archetype. And that's what the book is, is, yeah. is Cracker wanting to talk about this archetype that he feels like he fits into yeah. and has finally found some sort of articulation of this archetype of... Of what he fits into. Yeah, and I think a lot of people that have... Uh, I don't want to go too far into McCandless. I mean, it's, no, it's, I don't it's, either, it's but I'm just topic. saying like Into the Wild, but, the movie was more... That's like about Chris McCandless. It's very different from the book. There are a few movies out there, a few documentaries anyway. I've seen at least two of them that have debunked a lot of both Krakauer and Sean's, Sean Penn's interpretation of this and some of the information. Like they found his backpack up in Alaska. He had $300 in it. He had all these... You know, he was not running around eating dandelions off the side of the road to survive. He had money, and he was plugged into society. He had worked at... Uh, he worked at McDonald's yeah. for like six months in the first... And an Italian restaurant. He was a waiter in Vegas, too. Right. You know, he, he figured out relatively early, I think, that the idea of living without money... And I figured this out myself, and I think you did to a certain extent as well. For sure. You cannot yeah. live in this society without money. Right. You will die. Well, you remember... Or I- you'll be a thief. No, well, and I think that 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 goes well into like. Um, remember when I started the Hitch? I was of this mindset of like, I want to learn how to live without money, and the way that I did it was, you know, saved up three grand. It was in '09, so it was right after the bank the crash, and I didn't trust the banks at all, and I right. didn't, you know, I kept having these apocalyptic ideas yeah. of like, you know, the bank, inflation's gonna go crazy. I was seeing like Weimar Republic Germany of like wheelbarrowing. Sit- yeah, this is two thousand nine. Right. So yeah, yeah. 2012's right around the corner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and so I'm. I um, remember I bought gold and silver mm-hmm. with one of the uh, with a thousand dollars, and that was to hedge against the banks. Right, that was like this is my currency if everything goes down, and that was what I was putting most of my faith in. Then I took a thousand dollars and I put it in a CD in a bank, thinking like that was to hedge against myself because I didn't trust myself and my own opinions <laughs> on what was going on in the world. I knew I was pretty dramatic. <laughs> And then I, the last thousand dollars was my cushion in my pocket to take on the road to because I knew I didn't know how to live without money, so I mm-hmm. needed some to survive and use that as the cushion to get to the place where I could live without money. That was gone within about three months, and I remember remember this was what I learned was learn to trust that the money would show up, and that's and that seemed reliable. You know, that's a big deal to you. It was was, huge. I mean, I still live by this, Mm -hmm. is that I think if you're following your gut and you're doing your, if you're following what, yeah, following your intuition and you're doing what you think is right, well, let's go with you're just following your intuition, right? (laughs) If you're following your intuition and you're making your efforts to protect yourself, to, to, to secure yourself, then I believe that you're continued to be provided for. But I think that's a difficult spot to get to. Because remember, my ultimate goal was, I feel like if I had the if I had enough faith in the idea that I would be fine without needing a backpack even, mm-hmm. and could just walk out the door, 
I'm convinced there is a way I could get to that space. I just never got to that honest belief. So if I tried that now without that belief, I'm going to end up freezing to death, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing with money. If I try living without money right now, without that faith, and that Mm -hmm. faith comes and goes, right? So I think if I could get to a place where I honestly am 100% convinced that or believe that that I'm going to be fine, I think I would be. But I think I need to be in that space. You're not talking about self-belief here. In other words, you're not talking no. about the belief that you're going to be able to figure out a way to serve. Maybe this no, is maybe no. it's a distinction that I maybe I'm over overplaying and, and overemphasizing <clears throat> just to make sure that people understand what I'm talking or what you're talking about. But you're not talking about the the idea that you're going to be able to survive and believing in yourself. You're talking about believing no. that something, believing in some uh, benevolent force, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, is if you have faith in the universe or God, however you want, yeah, whatever yeah. vernacular you want to use, uh, that the universe or God will provide for you, but you have got to believe in it wholeheartedly for that to happen. Right. Yeah. I mean, to me, I call it the universe. Just makes more sense to me. Fair enough. <laughs> no, and that's how I would translate to people who are, you know, super Christian missionaries who would pick yeah. me up and try and save me. Yeah. At first, I was really annoyed by them. I didn't like them. You They're know, all I find over, them aggressive. They're all over the place, too. Yeah. But then I learned like the people who actually had faith in in what they were saying rather than just like regurgitating Pro- what they were yeah, yeah what they were mm-hmm. talking about in a book or what they were right. talking about in church or their interpretation of the bible or whatever if they actually had a belief that they had an experience with that they could base it in then I could have that conversation with them and I fine I'll say god I'll say jesus I'll say yeah. whatever you know, just to continue that conversation and say, you know, like for me, it's easily translatable that that trip of saying like, yeah, I'm following God's word or whatever, you know, yeah, yeah. to me, that sounds ridiculous, but it's essentially exactly what I'm talking about. You know, I'm following my intuition. Yeah. If you if you're being guided in which a direction, is a, you're following God's plan. Yeah. It's I an mean, inner guidance. Yeah. I told these folks in, in Randleman and maybe I'll tell this story before this episode's out because it's the second time it's come up. But I, I ran into a group of fundamentalist christians bikers basically it was a great great scenario it was such a great time uh but they were the guy picked me up he's like you hungry i'm like yeah i'm hungry i was hungry and i'd learned by that point it was august of the first year follow it right. usually these it's things always an t- invite yes it turns out really well one way or another generally so I, yeah generally and i jumped in and uh went to this church gathering and he wasn't really, he didn't really care that I was hungry. He wanted, he, he thought he'd found a stray sheep to bring into the flock. He was yeah. going to save me. And he's like, so how long you been out? And I'm like, what? Oh, I don't know, a month or two. Has you been homeless a month or two? And I'm like, I'm not homeless. What? Yeah. Well, no, I'm out doing this because I like it. I'm, I'm trying to figure, you know, learn some things. He, it pissed him off right. that I was not homeless. because You're not destitute. Exactly. I was not <laughs> in a, uh, that desperate mindset where I guess I was malleable psychologically malleable where he could save me right. and it pissed him off he shouldn't have, he should have been happy that i wasn't homeless right and i think he was pissed off that uh that i he asked me if i was hungry he lost his spiritual sales commission <laughs> exactly and i got some free burgers and hot dogs there you go deal. but anyway the later on in the night uh we're we're off in some other place i met another guy and we had a really fantastic conversation this will guy i don't know if you remember him or not but Mm-mm. we were sitting at, at this church and i decided to to sit through the sermon now, Pastor, I forgot his name. I named him Snake. So Pastor Snake was giving, and we were having a conversation about it. Basically, 
the crux of it was that we were on the same team at that point because I was in much the same space at that point that you were. Mm-hmm. And then I, I divined, you know, God and the universe to me. And I still see this mm-hmm. is a direct parallel. They are one and the same thing. Yeah. That karma is, you know, the heavenly reward that if you behave and you do the right things, you're going to be paid back either with karma or the, you know, the idea of you're going to go to heaven. It's the same thing. Behave. Good things happen to you. The, the cosmic Santa will bless you at Christmas time, however you want to look at it. And I, I still see that. I don't uh, I don't know that um, what I believe as far as that goes anymore. You know, we've we've had conver- you and I have had a lot of conversations about that. And I don't know what because I've seen things, mm-hmm. you know, I can't discount and out of hand. Just everything at this point because of, you know, I, I can I can look at the, the day that Andre and I cross paths. Mm-hmm. And you, there are certain times where if you look at the course of a day or the course of a week or even a, even 10 years, mm-hmm. you can see certain courses and certain points in time that had they not been perfectly timed and gone exactly how they did, your life is completely different and lesser for it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, that's the thing. That's where I, I don't necessarily um i don't fall into the same i guess theological camp or philosophical camp as far as this guy however you want to whichever yeah. yeah i don't i don't fall completely in there yet but i can't i'm not going to sit here and say <laughs> that's that's great I, I can't do it you right. know and i don't know where i'm at anymore with that it, it depends sometimes on the day because i mean we, we perfect example december mm-hmm. you know we're sitting down in peru and tea thing are coming up and i, I kept saying Throughout the course of December, I think you were saying the same thing. It feels like everything is bottlenecking right. at the first of the year. Like something's coming, something's happening. I don't know what the fuck it is. I got no idea. And then, yeah, January 2nd rolls around. Right. And the world explodes. <laughs> oh, my God. For both of us, mm-hmm. really. I yep. mean, it was like perfectly timed right there. New Year's came. We got drunk New Year's Eve and got New Year's Day off, mm-hmm. I guess. You know, like. Yeah, it's, a, it's a holiday. Yeah. A celestial <laughs> holiday. And boom, the second came around. And it has not, it's starting to slow. I think it's starting to kind of sort itself out for us, at least. But it's not really. Yeah. But how do you explain that? I mean, how do you how do you get this sense beforehand throughout, you know, we're floating down the Amazon River. And it's like, you know, this is great. But damn, something feels like it's. Yeah, I don't know. I mean. I don't either. None of this shit I could predict. No, I just, again, I think that's like. Now I sound like a big hippie, but it's <laughs> that energy flow thing is what I think it is. Yeah, uh, I think that's a real thing, and I think that you, when you're more relaxed, like floating down the Amazon, I think you feel it easier. And when you're more stressed and worried about international shipping insurance, <laughs> <laughs> it's harder to tune into. How's that working out for you? Yeah, well, it's almost done, thank yeah, God. Good. Hopefully. I don't know. I mean, that's... Non-explanation, that's a theory. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> it's my hypothesis. Yeah, it, it's, you know, I the best thing that I can say, the, the most authentic answer I can ever give to that question is, what do you believe, Todd? You know, I'm not an atheist. I don't right. like being called an atheist. It pisses me off when people think I'm an atheist. Right. They're, they're misconstruing the, the bedtime story and this childish idea of, God, of Sky Daddy and a zombie messiah right. as atheism. I think it's a bedtime story. I think it's a mythology. Right. You know, and to believe mythology literally is like believing that Thor is literally in the sky throwing lightning bolts at you. Well, and that, that's why I prefer saying, like, the universe over God, and, but right. I'm fine saying God. Yeah. I just think when I'm using different terminology, then I'm saying something different. 
you know, like how it's being received is very different right. because for me, if I say God, it sounds very personified and sounds like, yeah, the sky yeah. daddy thing of this, right. like it's a, it's a force that's outside. It's intelligent, independent from us and it's benevolent or punishing or whatever. And that's not what I believe yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, me neither. I mean, my version of karma that I believe is not punishing or rewarding. It's a learning. I, I feel like it's a, if you take it outside of, physically being here i think on a spiritual level and if on that spiritual level who gives a shit if you get hurt or what it's if if you learn the right tools from it and you can move past if you're dying of cancer if you're born with you know i don't know in a coma well you you take (laughs) whatever to, to to be to be clear though you take i think a different view of what karma is than i think most people would think of when they hear the word yeah, and that's why I don't like talking about karma so much either, because there's a preconceived notion right. about that. And when for I'm me, com- karma is like a force, right? When like I'm gravity. Com- when I'm comparing it to the heavenly reward, I'm, I think I'm thinking of the traditional thing, like if you do good things, that good things come back to you, and if you think good thoughts, good things, you know, you know, your karma is going to come and get you if you do that. Yeah, and I feel like bitch. that's religion. It is, and that's my it's difference between <laughs> religion and, and spirituality. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I just to, to to finish what I was gonna say. I just I, I I think the most authentic thing I can say is almost heresy in 2018. I don't know. <laughs> I do I do not mind in the age of information in the age of fucking camps mm. and mobs and everything else. It's almost heresy to say I don't know, and I really don't. I think there's more to it than I can understand. Uh, there's more to. I'm not nearly smart enough. I don't think well, I'm to be definitely it. not saying yeah. I understand. No, no, no. I, I'm not saying you are. I just, yeah. I, 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 I think I'm okay acknowledging that I'm not an atheist. I think there is something going on. I don't know if it's a collective consciousness, if we're part of a, like a massive organism, we just can't perceive mm-hmm. something. Yeah. I just don't know. Right. You know, I used to kind of fall into that atheist belief system and just anti-theist. And I talked about this in another episode. I really, I used to ravage religion. I used to drop napalm on Facebook villages when I would talk about religion and things. Mm-hmm. Got known for that. People liked it. Mm-hmm. Atheists did anyway. Of course. You got like, and atheism is the yeah. most predominant religion these days, I'd say. It's an ism. It's a mob. <laughs> it's, it's a group. It's a tribe, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's cool to be atheist. Yeah. And <laughs> I would do that. And I've, I've come to terms with it because I, I don't think, I think that it's, a, it's an operating system, religion. It puts things into simple terms, simple enough terms where your mind can function properly without having to be bound up with the fear and the anxiety that we all fear surrounding death and surrounding purpose and surrounding why we're here, what we're supposed to do with this infantile consciousness and the sense of self. Religion takes care of all of that for a lot of people. I have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. At all, as long as I said in the other cast, as long as you stay in your lane, you know, you start telling me it's as long like, as they don't have a problem with you, not exactly a problem with it. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, have your personal relationship with God or the universe or whatever, whatever fucking uh, blow up doll. I do not care. Right. But make keep it personal and let other people sort of do their own thing. And that's where we I, th- I think it's a, a good line of distinction. You start using that as a club and start trying to force people to believe what you believe because it reinforces your beliefs and your place in the, at the center of the universe, then I think we move into problems. But other than that... Yeah, but I think a lot of people take the, their like religions and their beliefs into like 
kind of like the constitution of that belief has to do with aggressively overrunning other people's, you know, <laughs> like well, the yeah. proselytizers and the evangelicals. Well, yeah, they have to go save people. Right, and that becomes part of the belief. So then it becomes an infringement on your belief to stop them from overrunning other people. And then and that's where it's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, you don't get it. No, you get it. I'm just like, they, no. leave people the fuck alone. You know, take that 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 crusading out of the uh, out of the out of the scripture. You know, and if it's there, right. cut it out of the fucking Bible. Or know? the other versions where you got like the cults where they're gonna go drink Kool Aid on a. That's, you know, Dar- that's Darwinism to me. I'm all right with that. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> I, I really am. I mean, if you if, yeah, I, 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 don't I, have... I I'm not advocating for Jim Jones. I don't think you know that the next Jim Jones should be springing up anytime soon, but. Well, there were children involved there, and that that's and that's, that's, yeah, that's fucked up. And and yeah. people get raised in these things, and yeah, people well, get convinced of these things. Well, Westboro, and, I guess, is the same. I, you've seen those children in Westboro Baptist Church. You know, they they go out and protest soldier funerals. And, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's little kids holding signs that say "God hates fags." You know, they're being indoctrinated into this right. shit. And that's a problem. And I guess you could you could apply that to, I don't know. I think but we're getting off on a... Yeah. But I mean, then you get into people's beliefs and how they raise their kids and... Yeah, is it Sunday school or indoctrination? Yeah. I don't know that we want to go. Let's go back to the traveling stuff. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we were talking... The uh, last thing I knew, you were in, you were in Tennessee. We're gonna, we're, let's go back to the walk a little bit. You're in mm. Tennessee. And you took a route through Tennessee, I guess, uh, what, uh, Arkansas, Missouri is next? Where'd you go? Uh, after Tennessee, I went through Kentucky. Kentucky. Okay, I like nicked, the, nicked yeah. the tip of Kentucky and Illinois. That sounds kinky. I know, yeah. yeah. Paducah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I went through there. I went through, Car- did I go through Carbondale? I can't remember if I did or not. Yeah, I went through some place that had, uh, oh, Metropolis. That had a big Superman. Um, Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> it was hilarious. It's an actual town called Metropolis in Illinois? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, they claim that. it as the hometown of Superman. Yeah, even though he's from Kansas, but <laughs> and the metropolis was clearly New York. But I don't know. They've got a town called Metropolis in Illinois that I apparently had high hopes to become one. Yeah. And they've got a full color 10-foot statue of Superman. I think it's 10 feet, something like that. You have a picture of that? Of course. Sweet. Yeah. And his uh, domestic partner, Big John. who <laughs> his domestic partner. There was, there was another... <laughs> Large ten feet colored <laughs> color statue of him carrying home the groceries. It's great. Really? Yeah, I've got pictures of both of them. I'd love to see. I've never seen those. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So from there, you're in Illinois, and then you cross, I guess, the the Mississippi at that point, right? Uh, yeah, into Cape Girardeau. Girardeau. Yeah, 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 yeah. On the Boot Hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. way south. Yeah. How'd and you then, get across the river? Oh man, I wanted to walk the bridge, but. <laughs> But after my experience trying to walk the bridge in Paducah, which was this old, like, 1930s kind of, like, Depression-era bridge, yeah. <laughs> you know, where I made it three-quarters of the way across, <laughs> but uh, but it was a very narrow bridge, and yeah. I was disrupting traffic, and the last quarter I had to be driven across by a cop car. Was he friendly, at least? He was super friendly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. It was, like, one of those bridges that had the graded bottoms on yeah. it, Yeah. and so he's IDing me, and I'm like... Yeah, don't, I can't drop this. Yeah, I don't want to drop my <laughs> license or my wallet. Yeah, right, right. Um, so, yeah, so he put me in the... In the cruiser. In the cruiser and got me to the other side. That was nice. Handed me over to the Illinois police. Oh, yeah, because that was going Kentucky Kentucky to uh, Illinois. Right. Paducah so, Beach, yeah. Yeah, so then going... 
looking at the Mississippi, I mean, that's Mile Cape Girardeau. It's, yeah, it's pretty wide yeah. by that time. And so I just stood in front of the bridge and hitched across. Oh, sweet. I had the guy pick me up at the, just the guy who picked me up, I was right in front of where the bridge starts. Yeah. And he dropped me off right on the other side. And then across Missouri, how long did that take you? Oh, God, when did I get through there? Well, instead of asking, I don't know, like a twenty days, month, yeah. How, like how, so you were you're you're about it, a third of the me, way across now. So you're probably your mileage is starting to creep up every well, day. After Ingrid left, so it took us two months to get through Georgia. She left, went home, and then it took me three months to get from there, from Sewanee to uh, Denver. Three months from Sewanee, Tennessee, Tennessee to, to Denver. Denver, and two months in Georgia, three months to from the rest for the rest to get to yeah. Denver. And then to get from Denver to Seattle the next year was 2 months. Jesus. Yeah, it's the same distance from Savannah to Denver and Denver to Seattle. Yeah. So I was ready to be done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah cuz in the beginning like I said I was doing 8 to 10 miles and then she went home I did I was averaging around 15 and then it got up to 20 by the time I got into Kansas I was around like 21 a day and then by the time I got into Denver I was doing about 26 a day well you had to be at that point though because when you get into Kansas at least western Kansas if I, if I'm remembering Kansas correctly, was great yeah but the, the, those towns are not I mean you're out east they're close together you're going through a town every five miles or certainly maybe 10 miles in Kansas no 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 out east oh yeah, yeah, and, yeah. but when you get out out west um, especially, Can- I think, on the other side of the river. I mean, these towns start to spread the fuck out. Well, in Kansas, I was hitting one town a day. Yeah. I mean, so they're, you- they're 26 miles apart because each town, they're specifically 26 miles apart because each town was a train dump. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was like each town, I think that was like how far they could get with the before they need to refuel the and water tank or something like that. US 36, right? 36. Yeah. yeah. Is that is that specific to that- 36 or is that like throughout the state of Kansas? Oh, I don't know. That's probably specific to 36 because it parallels the old rail the rail lines, but they probably just used that format. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if every other town is exactly 26 miles apart, but yeah. But along 36, that's what it was. So if you were doing only 10 miles a day. It was actually the old Pony Express route as well. 36? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's neat. Yeah, I yeah. went into the museum. So 26 miles, uh-huh. that's about the distance of a, of a horse a day, isn't it? Yeah, well. that's probably another reason why they're 26. Yeah. I'll bet you that's Because there's Pony Express also. But I remember each town was like a major town. Back um, in the day, anyway. Way yeah. back. Yeah, they were like... That was fascinating to me because it was like... There were towns I was going through that were two, 300 people maybe that used to be 40,000, 50,000 when that was a major city. Um, and that was because they were train towns. Um, there were train stops. And then that changed in the 40s when... We decided to switch to the highway system mm-hmm. and made interstates. So the interstates came around the 50s. Mm-hmm. Everything shifted down to where 70 went through, and those towns yeah. just died. Yeah. So it became really fascinating to me to see like the, the travel of population. Like Route 66 when 40 and 44 mm-hmm. sprung up. Mm-hmm. That's another conversation. I love Route 66. Yeah. I don't bother with that. So you went through, you, went, you, you caught the, the Pony, I heard you say you caught the Pony Express Museum. Where was that? Marysville, I want to say. Kansas? Yeah. That'd be fascinating, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a little thing, but, but it was cool. Yeah, no, it'd be great. I love that history out there. Yeah. One yeah. of the things I loved about living out west yeah. was that old frontier pioneer mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. It was, I didn't yeah. They had the old, like, uh, the posters for recruiting pi- uh, Pioneer Ex- or Pony Express guys, and, yeah. like, specifically looking for orphans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Death rate was pretty high. Pretty real high. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a. Wild Bill Hickok, I think, was a, he was a Pony Express guy. 
when he was like 16 or something. Young and stupid. Yeah, yeah. he's the only one of the few who made it like uh, a year and a half before it ended. It was only around like a year and a half. And he gets shot in the back in Deadwood. Yeah. So you were at least doing, you were doing a town a day, so you were doing at least 26 miles through Kansas. So your, your yeah. endurance and your, your yeah. physical ability was a pretty essential point by then because how much water would you have to carry if you're doing like 10 miles a day and you're in between towns and you're not able to really... I think I was carrying like six or six to eight liters. Yeah, an average Camelback is three, right? And you had the, the well, drop, I had that ten, the ten liter it. one that I would, I'd fill. Well, no, I think I put four in there. I'd have four liters in me, so basically a gallon of water. And that got you through twenty six miles. Yeah, I don't drink much water. Hmm. <laughs> so it was like twice that. I think. It's like my lips were all cracked and shit. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't have a hat. <laughs> August in Kansas, Christ. flat roads. I mean. It was dumb, but I mean, who? If you're walking across the country, why would you aim for Kansas in August, the heart of tornado season? That's unfortunately, I never saw one. True, yeah. That's well, a, I saw two in Georgia, but I never saw one. In Kansas. Saw two tornadoes in Georgia. Yeah, what, what same month, day. What month did you start? I don't think I asked you that. Uh, St. Patrick's Day. So March seventeenth. Yeah, down south. Well, we started walking March. on the twentieth, but we got there on the seventeenth. Northern uh, Kansas, thirty-six. Then you're into Colorado. You're into starting to kind of approach the foothills of the Rocky Mountains and all that mm-hmm. after a little while, and pretty much the same as Kansas, right? In eastern Colorado, yep. eastern Colorado, exactly. The yeah, same. and then uh, so you get into Denver and you basically hunker down into winter quarters mm-hmm. and over the winter of 03 to 04. Yeah, right? got a got a job. You know, mm-hmm. just basically did your thing until the next spring. Right. And when did you leave Denver? <laughs> Twice I left Denver. Um, so I had a girlfriend then who went with me out of Denver, uh, Angie, mm-hmm. and we left May something, second, I think, uh, out of Denver, walked up straight north, up to Laramie, but about eight miles south of the Wyoming border, we broke up on the side of the road. It was about two days, uh, horrible, horrible breakup, and then she hitched home, I kept walking. This is an interesting story. So I made it. She left, and then I kept going. That night, I made it to a little place called Tie Siding, which is a fireworks store. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> and um, and it was it was open, but there were no lights on. It was just a parking lot. There's a little trailer in the parking lot. I was thirsty, and I wanted a Coke or something. And uh, so I went into this fireworks store and I'm looking around. (laughs) There's like no lights on. You know, it definitely looks closed, fully closed. So I'm wandering around in there. There's a fridge. There's a Coke. So I was like, okay. So I grabbed a Coke. I left like two bucks on the counter or something like that. Uh, Sat out in front and was just drinking it and thinking about this breakup. And I was really kind of torn up about it. Yeah. I felt like it was fitting into a pattern that I had had of, I forget what it was at the time, but I felt like I was like redoing the same thing over and over again of running away from things. And that's how I was feeling about the walk at the time was like, what am I doing? Like, I'm just running away from this other thing. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. going off into the desert. I mean, yeah, <laughs> like, right. what's going on? So I'm sitting there sipping on this Coke and a guy comes out of the trailer and he's like, oh, man, I didn't see a car in the lot, so I didn't think anyone was here. <laughs> wow. And I was like, oh, well, I left two bucks on the counter. <laughs> so yeah. he's like, and um, is this guy Curtis. And he was, uh, anyway, he invited me to dinner. Hmm. So he and I get talking, 
And he just had a fascinating story. So both of us were going through this real like soul searching kind of in-depth like re-check in on who we are. Funny how you find those people. Yeah. I mean, in the middle, literally, he was literally the only guy for miles around. Yeah. (laughs) And and that's who he was. Boom, there he is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, probably like 20, 30 miles radius, you know, 60 mile diameter, you know, in any direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he and I start talking and turns out he had died two weeks before I met him for a total of about four minutes, clinically dead Mm -hmm. on the operating table. Uh, and he told me this story. Uh, so, of course, that spawns a lot of soul searching. Um, but he went into this story of he had won the lottery when he was like 21 or 23 or something like that. Won, I don't know, a few million dollars. He said he was so happy when that money was gone. It took him three years to blow through it because he was just partying he was he told me he bought like a $150,000 samurai sword with like rice paper worked into the hilt with a message on it or something and like all this other shit um anyways yeah so he, he said he was so happy when that money was gone because he couldn't tell who his friends were you know he had no idea who was genuinely there for him and who and he, and he was you know a shit show he's off getting drunk partying he didn't have to work He's, you know, fucking everybody who comes around. Mm-hmm. So anyways, the money's gone. And he was giving out money left, you know, left and right, hand over fist. Anybody needed money? Hey, yeah, here, take $40,000. Take $50,000. Don't worry about it. Hey, work for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, then when when it was gone, no one would talk to him because everyone thought that he'd want that money back. Uh, his, he lost his whole family. None of them would talk to him. He, not, he didn't have any real friends anymore. So he's just isolated on his own. He even, he told me he went to his grandmother's funeral and even there, no one in his family would talk to him. He even would like pull cousins aside and be like, hey, look, I don't care about that money. I'm not looking for it. It was a gift. It was never a loan. And, you know, I said it at the time. I mean it now. And, and they were still like, yeah, no, it's fine. I wouldn't talk to him. Anyways, it went on years like this. And then one day, uh, this lady knocks on the door uh, with a 14-year-old kid. And turns out he's the father of the kid. And she was one of the girls that was in the party time and got knocked up and had no interest in this shit show as a father and just kept it to herself. Easy to disappear when you're one of a million. And <laughs> Yeah, right. You know, and, um, and just raised the kid. But now the kid was curious about who his father was. Uh, you know, wanted that whole exploration. And so she hunted him down, found him, and and they got along great. Um, he was ecstatic. Suddenly he had family. Right, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, he got along great with the girl. Um, wow. So That's kind of surprising. Yeah. But they started dating again um, and, and forming a bit of a family, you know? Mm-hmm. They dated for like a year or so. And then one day she was uh, driving back to her house. I don't know, she lived like an hour away or something like that. And on her way home with the son in the car, they got plowed by a Mack truck. Both of them instantly killed. And so that had spun him into a deep, deep depression. Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden you get family after so many years it's of not having away. it. And then it's just, you know. Yeah. So he coped with his depression by eating gorged himself Hmm. for about a year and that i guess was the year before i met him because it got to a point where he had a coronary and ended up having a heart attack and and 
going into the hospital and dying on the table several times until they resuscitated him and, and brought him back. And by the time I met him, he was alive and reflecting on his life and $40,000 in debt, thanks to the lottery. What was he doing before he <laughs> hit the lottery? I have no idea. Didn't tell you? No. I didn't ask him. But his, uh, it, was a, it was a curse. Yeah. That money. And he described it in that way, yeah. Wow. It's free money. And just some random guy. The the one thing, and I know nobody has, and nobody else listening to this, unless they've been out hitchhiking for extended periods of time, <laughs> understand where I'm coming from here. Right, right. But it's just it's that it's those random little moments. I mean, it's it's it, you learn a lot. You get a mm-hmm. chance to learn from someone else's experience. You know, this interaction. I think we were talking about on the other podcast yesterday that you know this human interaction between people, exchanging information, exchanging experiences, perspectives, things like that. And you find a guy who, like you like you described, is maybe the only guy in a 50-mile radius, and mm-hmm. you run into him because you are out there. Right. And going through something that I'm, like, pioneering my soul as well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah. and I was telling him all about the breakup and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and what, what all it meant to me and this cyclical pattern that I'm seeing in myself. And we're having this big, like, back and forth. Yeah. And we talked until, like, I think, I, I know the sun was up when I, well, that doesn't mean much. It's Wyoming and it was <laughs> July, but, or June or something. But still, you know, I mean, we must have got there at, like, five. We were up till at least midnight or one, just talking away it reminds me of andre just a little bit i mean the the, the scenarios but the money factor mm-hmm. you know andre was terminal at that point mm-hmm. but this guy just died on the table i mean that'll that'll fuck you up that yeah. will that will bring you crashing down to reality and make you look at things and andre was you know he was in his last five years of mm-hmm. his life and he was basically there as well right and how money can affect you and what it does to you mm-hmm. now this was in the i guess the spring then <clears throat> of 04 right it would have been may because yeah that was when I left. I went back on the trail June 5th. Okay. So actually after that conversation, I guess to wrap that story up, um, he and I had talked about the whole Angie thing and breaking up and all of that. And um, and I decided that she was an important person in my life, that I had found that person that I was looking for and to go off and continue this walk cross country. It didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. to just like continue something solely because I started it, even though I'm leaving what I actually am after behind. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it's like just because the goal that I had say, it goes back to that light That's at the end of the exactly tunnel. You need, to be, you need to be willing to let that, yeah. that, that change. So I got on a bus and I went back to Denver, went back and had a talk with her and we ended up getting back together and, but then for three, this was interesting. So for the next three weeks that I was there, so we got back together. I moved, I got my own apartment. I got a job. I burned through to get that apartment. I, I spent most of the money that I had saved to finish the walk over the winter, you know, putting down deposit and stuff like that. Every night I was having dreams about being on the walk, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I started getting emails from people. Uh, Why'd you stop? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I only got real one hate mail one, which was from this guy I've down in Georgia that I met. talked about that several times. Yeah, I was just like, okay, <laughs> I'm not even going to address that. But, mm-hmm. but a lot of people were supportive. You had a blog before you even there were even blogs. I don't think there were blogs. There were blogs. Then. <clears throat> was it was it a thing in the culture though? Was it a, was it actually? Yeah, it wasn't a like blog? it is now. It was called a blog as of like late '90s because I remember oh, someone when I was no. in college. 
99, 2000, something like that. I remember someone saying they had a blog, and I just thought that word was ridiculous. No, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was like zine. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, maybe that's what it was. So you had a blog, you had a website, and yeah. you were basically some pretty in-depth posts. And, and this is where I was going to go with it next, because this is the point when you were having this breakup with Angie. I found your website after doing the stream of consciousness stuff mm-hmm. and had this idea I'd do a Google search and figure out if anybody had done anything like this thing that I had in my head. Right. And that's how I found you. Was right. that for whatever reason your shit popped up. Hey, let's read this. Click. <laughs> and I spent, yeah, I spent, it was good. And I thought, I thought the writing was, was uh, very, very well done. Not just because of the, the writing, but you talked about that breakup mm-hmm. and you were brutally fucking honest. Yeah. It wasn't like some, oh, well, and life goes on and I suppose this was meant to happen and blah, 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 you know, smack upside the head. This was, you were brutalizing. Yeah. I think yourself, if I remember right. I mean, you were yeah. really disappointed and frustrated with yourself. And that's what got me, was that you were sharing, I mean, some real authentic emotion. Yeah. Some raw. Yeah, I felt like I had hit a turning point, like a changing point in my yeah. life, because I felt like, uh, again, I feel like there's this pattern. And this is kind of what I'm going through now. I've, <laughs> I've always equated uh, my relationships with women to my relationships with cities or uh-huh. residences, uh-huh. right? Uh, there's this same mentality that I have of like, I'm enamored with where I live or who I'm dating when I first start dating them, and then yeah. I get used to the place, and then some other place looks great, <laughs> you know? Um, and then I move. Right. Either away from the relationship to go back to being single, or, I mean, I've never cheated on anybody, but... So it wasn't like I was looking at somebody else saying like, oh, this looks great over here. With women, it was more like, oh, this, this, and this is not going to last 50 years from now. So why bother putting in the effort? And I'm just going to drop it now. And I would see that in a city. You know, if I'm living in Denver or New York or wherever, I'd be like, well, this is great for right now while I'm 23 or 24 or 30, mm-hmm. you know, but when I'm 50, I'm not going to want this. So I want to be someplace where I've lived for 20 years by the time I'm 50. So I might as well move now and get to that place. <laughs> You know, this yeah. is the logic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, and so, yeah, uh, with Angie, I was like seeing where the argument was and didn't really hold water altogether. And so I felt like it just burst into an emotional overload. And so we just split ways. And yeah. that coming back together, we could get through that as you do in relationships, push through and stay together and... Mm-hmm you know, have that longevity yeah. that I never really believed in and and still struggle with. But <laughs> but um but yeah, I mean that's that was part of that return was like, oh now I found stability. Now I found my community. Now I found my place to to be mm-hmm. was with her. Three weeks later after I got back, we broke up. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and the right. next day I went back to Laramie and I finished up the walk. I felt like that was the that was the right place to be right then whereas had i continued that back in may when we first broke up i would have been regretting that the whole way so a lot of people look at it like oh would you if you could do it over would you have not gone back or you know no that was part of the walk part of the the whole tapestry of the experience yeah Yeah. i mean if i hadn't returned and taken care of things and at least put it to bed in in a way that i understood yeah, I'd be regretting it still today, saying yeah. like, oh, well, I had this one relationship, but I felt like I really needed to finish my walk. And and I think that's also a largely why I was 
done with it and just kind of powered through. I was doing, I think, like 28, 29 miles a day up to like 31 to 32 miles a day. Yeah, I want to get into to Wyoming, and I think you, obviously you went through part of Montana, right? No, you missed yeah, Montana. Yeah, but let me just wrap this up real yeah, quick yeah. because this is kind of where I'm at now with places. So coming back here to Massachusetts is it's sort of the same feeling as that time back in 04. Uh, I'm at that point in, in with Angie. Going yeah. I'm, I'm seeing an opportunity to come and root into a place where I can belong. Right. Right. And I've seen this in a number of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but this is what I'm hoping is to be able to learn how to stay in one place, become a part of a community or become, I don't know, learn whatever that is in me that keeps yeah. me moving to address it because it seems unhealthy in a sense. How much of that do you think, not to, I don't want to go too far down this road, maybe five words. How much do you think age has to do with that? I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> if, you, if you only want kidding. five words, no. yeah. No, I mean, how much does age have to do with it? Yeah. From my perspective, you're in your mid twenties at this point, right? Back during the walk, you're in middle late twenties. Late, yeah, yeah I was like 28. 20, 28. I was twenty eight, and now you're forty one. I mean, there, there's a big difference. Yeah, but I live kind of the same. I'm just, I'm just asking. I'm yeah, not, yeah. I don't want to no, project this, and out. I don't know. I don't know if it's age or not. It doesn't feel like it. Everyone that I know in Amherst, they all like kind of roll their eyes when I mention that I'm in my forties, and they're like, "You're not." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This little thing. And I think that's a lot their perspective. But um but for me, I recognize what you're talking about with like the midlife crisis thing. No, no, no. I don't mean as a midlife. I mean like physical energy like if Oh, well it, that is part of it. And it, and experience is part of it. I'm not craving to go around the world anymore. Yeah, I don't have this desire to go see everything anymore. I'm interested. In, I still like travel. I still mm-hmm. like going places, but I'm not interested in lifestyle traveling anymore like I was then. Um, I still enjoy it, but I very much recognize that it's in the past. Yeah. It's kind of like what I told you when when I came back uh, from Peru just now, going Mm -hmm. through Seattle, Denver, New York. You know, my old homes felt really good to be in each one of them, and it felt very much like they were closed. You know, like... Yeah, I do. Like that's okay. That's yeah, how this, I, this is great to be here, and that's behind you now. That's how I felt <laughs> the last two weeks in Juarez, down mm-hmm. in Peru, when I was in the uh, in the hostel, mm-hmm. uh, sitting in this room. I'm like, yeah, I don't think I need to do this anymore. Right. I do not need. I want to go to Ushuaia still. I want to go. I still want to get the pictures of the penguins fucking. If penguins fuck, I'm not sure they do. I think so. I want to get a, a picture of two penguins fucking on my wall. But other than that, that was the <laughs> that was the bait to get there this time. Right. But I, I still want to do that, and I still, you know, I have this uh, this opportunity. That I think we talked about in the last podcast of going like going down to the Amazon and taking yeah, I still and photographing the, Bill's stuff. You yeah, know, I still want to do the Trans Siberian Rail. Yeah, targeting stuff though. It's not like going out. I I know what's out there now. Right. You know, I've been all the way through Mexico, Central America, parts of South America. I, I've done six trips down there. Mm-hmm. I've traveled around the, hitchhiked around the, I know what's out there. I don't need to go explore mm-hmm. anymore. I've got a pretty good idea, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what's happening now. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like I need to do that like I did five or six years ago. And I, 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 I part of me wonders how much of it is experience and actually gaining perspective and knowledge 
filling that void of curiosity that may have been there 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And how much of it is... Curiosity of what? Specific places that are scattered all over the place or what kind of curiosity? Whatever it is that pushes you out the door. People that go wandering around Mm -hmm. and are restless, in my experience anyway, have an an insane, insatiable amount of curiosity about what's out there, the possibilities. um, Right, but I mean, what's pushing you outside the door? The curiosity of what's outside the door or what's what's inside the door? What's inside? What you're leaving? Is that what's pushing you out there? You know what I mean? I th- I, I feel know. like it's a different more... for everybody. I think. Yeah, but I feel like I see. I mean, I met a lot of travelers on at the hostel in particular, but yeah. also just moving around Me like too. you and I have. Yeah, yeah. we've met a bunch. Um, I feel like. I feel like most of the people, when you really look down into them, myself included, and maybe it's because I'm projecting this out of myself. I feel like. The real motivator isn't really the curiosity of, of what's out there. It's just you want to kind of move away from what's in. From, yeah, you're running away rather than running to. Yeah, and 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 again, I totally recognize that could be projection because I'm in the space of like I'm ready to face it and I'm ready to sit down. Now, for me, I, I'll, I can only speak from my own experience. I do recognize what you're <clears> saying, though. I think that's perfectly valid for mm-hmm. a lot of people. For me, I was never running out of my door. Mm-hmm. Now, that was a problem my girlfriend and I had in 2008 mm-hmm. was she could not understand. God bless her for sticking through this. Right, yeah. I don't think I've addressed, I'm, I'm serious. I don't <laughs> I think, think I've addressed that enough. Right. Uh, the bullshit. She, she met me when I was doing radio and I had a career. Yeah. It's <laughs> very different money. now. <laughs> <laughs> making good money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A little thing. Uh, and she, she, she went through that transition with me. But, but one of the problems that she had in 2008 when I finally did get out the door was she thought it was her. She mm-hmm. she was like, you don't. No, well, how could you not though? Well, I didn't. It was my fault because right. I didn't really articulate. I I don't know that I even articulated it to myself. Probably not. I, maybe. Yeah. But if I did, I mean, I can dig through my notebooks, the, right. the writing and stuff that I was doing then. It had nothing to do with her. Yeah, I was a little annoyed, admittedly, right. that I was with somebody that didn't want to do this shit. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, right, right. That I it was, but it turned out to be a nice yin and yang, a nice mm-hmm. balance of people. You know, right. that we're in this relationship. Mean, we've been together 15 years. Obviously, something. Do we seem miserable? No. Yeah. <laughs> you've yeah, been yeah. here living, you know, you've been staying here for three days. No, and okay. every time yeah. I've stayed. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's nice, but she she didn't understand that I was not running from her. Right. I may have been running from something. Right, right. Uh, but it wasn't her. No, and, and it I wasn't d- the house. It yeah. was, and it was, de- I think it definitely I was. I think it's towards internal something. generally. I think, no, I think I was running towards something as well. I yeah. don't know. I, 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 well, I did too. To I mean, when I. 15 minutes to probably write out what that was. Right. Yeah. You know? No, and I think that's a, that's a fair thing. I mean, I felt really good when I left Denver. Um, that was one of the best departures that I had. And it really informed me on, on, an appropriate way for me to leave places was that I was really sad to be leaving Denver behind because I really enjoyed it there. But I was really excited to be where I was going. Whereas every other time beforehand, when I moved, it was, you know, leaving a city, especially it was slamming the door behind me because I couldn't wait to get out. Yeah. You know, and, and excited to be going where I'm going, but more that I was slamming the door behind me. That's what she's doing here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I, when I, when that happened in 09 and left to go hitching, I made it a, a, a mental note that I keep referring back to that was like, I don't, I don't, I, this is how I want to leave places when I'm leaving places. Yeah. And so, so it's an interesting one when you look at how I'm leaving the Hoff. 
you know, I'm leaving Peru where I, man, I wanted to get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can attest for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I was still, I was, I was sad to be leaving the Hof behind. It wasn't yeah. like I was. Fuck this place. I'm out. No, yeah. That was none and, of that. And no. I didn't, well, yeah, I mean, it kind of was, but, and it, but, but it was more about the area. It was more about. You put a lot of care. You could have easily blown that up. If you wanted to, you could have just walked away from the Hoff. If you really just wanted to say fuck it, right? Yeah, you yeah. could have just left, left all your shit, right, and just come home. Well, and and, you, that, and that's the point I think I'm trying to make is yeah. is that the Hoff is what I was sad to leave, and yeah. the Hoff is where I lived. I didn't live in Juarez. I didn't live right. in Yupa. You know, I lived mm-hmm. in the Hoff. Yeah, I barely left that. You put a lot of work into that place. You built it. Well, yeah, and that was the that was the region. The region was limited to the property lines. You know, I didn't leave there very, very much. When I was there, I was there. Yeah. I was in the grounds. And and I think that was what I was sad to be leaving. You know, what I was anxious to get away from was the villagers and the, the city and yeah. the, you know, like yeah. all the, all the, everything ineptitude, around me. The ineptitude. <laughs> and which is an interesting <laughs> thing to look at because when you're leaving, like when I left Denver, the what I was sad to be leaving wasn't my apartment. I didn't really have a particular attachment to my apartment. I was sad to be leaving that area. Yeah, I had my, yeah, Capitol Hill pretty much was, that was where my friends were. Yeah. That was my network, my neighborhood. And yeah. that area in Peru was shrunk down to just the hostel. Right. And so with that, I'm, I was sad to be leaving that and was excited about what's coming up up here. Let's, uh, let's do this. Why don't we take a quick break? Okay. Uh, we have, seem to have a gap in the conversation, which is rare. Yeah. Go hit the bathroom. By the way, we have a new sponsor on the uh, Escaping the Cave podcast. It's Bailey's Fine Liquor. Yeah. Goes well with coffee. Need creamer? Try Bailey's instead. Bailey's. Creamer for coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. Uh, you can just write Bailey's and see if they can get a free case. <sighs> That's one thing about these marathon sessions with coffee. <laughs> we just need to do them with the pens. Yeah, maybe a catheter. It'd be good. Yeah. Incidentally, Bailey's is not really a sponsor of the show, but perhaps they should be. I think so. I hey. think you should send them that little commercial you did. Yeah. See if we can get a free case. <sighs> It'll last, what, maybe a month. You know, Bailey's does make a really good creamer. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Add a little Especially sugar. Especially if it's Christmas. Yeah, a little honey. We had a guy uh, that showed up at the Hoff that uh, kind of got me hooked on that. He's uh, mm-hmm. met him in Salento too, right? He mm-hmm. he broke out the Baileys in the little town in Colombia that uh, Brian and I went to, and Chris and I revisited uh, on this trip just before we flew down to the uh, jungle. And yeah, he brought a big he bottle. Was, of, he was having a month of it. Yeah, Canadian guy. Yeah, it's like <laughs> December is Baileys month. What's his name? <clears throat> Mark. Mark. That's right. Yeah, Mark and Takaya decided to go out. You got a, like a half gallon of it or something today, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, probably something, something like that. Huge, a, a liter and three quarters. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I think where we left off, at least as far as the walk goes, you had just crossed into Wyoming. You'd gone back to Denver for mm-hmm. about three weeks and basically mm-hmm. put the relationship you were in to bed. Yeah, pretty much. I right? didn't know that's what I was doing, but yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. how it ended up. And then I returned to the walk with yeah. with far less money than I had intended. Yeah, right. Because I put down the deposit. And, and psychologically, you're ready to just get this thing over with at this point, right? Basically, yeah. 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 So you're in Wyoming now. And really, some, I seem to remember 
uh, there was some really interesting shit about In Wyoming. Wyoming. Yeah, like you had the... Like I lost for like... That's the thing, yeah. yeah. Because in your back, you had an external frame backpack, which is the metal frame that goes around the mm-hmm. edge and you know, everything sort of dangles from this frame and yeah. it broke on you, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, that was in Wyoming. I lost my camera in Wyoming. I jumped over a rattlesnake in Wyoming. Um, Proceed. This is great. <laughs> well, yeah. Actually, um, but I got lost in the desert there for like four days. Well, so let's I start from at, the beginning. You took the you took the bus from uh, Denver back to Laramie. To Laramie, you left yeah. Off. Yeah, and then and then where did you? How did it go from there? What route and did then, you take through there? Uh, two eighty seven up to Medicine Bow. That's right, because we uh, part of my traveling in uh, 08 as well mm-hmm. was yeah that was where the Vern moment happened. It was uh, two eighty seven. Did you go up to Medicine Bow? No, I fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the Virginian is. Yeah, I, I was uh, dropped off. Uh, I actually was picked up in Rifle, Colorado. Okay. <laughs> See, I, I thought I was going toward Utah. This guy was going north. I got a ride. All right, fuck it. Let's go to let's right. go to Wyoming. Yeah, and he dropped me mm-hmm. off in um, uh, what the hell's the name of that town? Uh, Land, Land, not oh Land. Landers Rollins. Rollins. Oh yeah, okay. And he dropped me off, and I was like, okay, there's 287. Woo! I'm gonna go north toward the toward toward Yellowstone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh just, you don't want to hitch and Rollins. <laughs> yeah, I did. And I, I took off from the TA. He dropped me off at. Got a KOA and then walked out of town the next day. Didn't fill up my water. Oh, that's not good. No, it was terrible. Yeah. And <laughs> Wyoming's weird. Yeah, I I seem to remember. Wait, you isn't two eighty seven going up out of there up to? I thought there was a river running next to it. Up, yeah, uh, up to Yellowstone. Maybe not from Rollins. Not, not at Rollins. No, there was going up to there. Shoshone though. There's yeah. Maybe. There's a river alongside the whole way. I got nowhere near there. <laughs> I got I, I had my backpack on, and I, I like I said, I stopped at a library, didn't fill up my water, figured, oh, fuck it, I'll get a ride. And Wyoming's weird. Yeah, don't do that in Wyoming. No, because A, uh, hitchhiking's illegal in Wyoming. Well, most states, yeah. No, not most states, but at least in Wyoming it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, my experience, no, not California, it's Wyoming. It's not illegal in California. Yeah, it you is. Did, no, it's not. You can't, you can't hitchhike the, the freeways. Anything designated a freeway, you can't hitchhike. And technically, you can't. I thought state roads, you couldn't either. No, you can. Yeah, the only place you cannot hitchhike in California is a freeway, and you can't sit on the on-ramps. It's illegal to sit on an on-ramp. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Uh, but Wyoming, it is. And uh, <clears throat> Wyomans are a little weird. They're, they they like to be left alone and they leave people alone. And I there's, there's four hundred thousand people in a state the yeah. size of Colorado. Yeah, and <laughs> I I was at the point I was really early in the hitchhiking. It was my first month, mm-hmm. and I was still really shy about throwing my thumb out. Like, mm-hmm. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So I would just sit there and assume people knew that I was, since I was sitting on a backpack by the side of the road, that I was hitchhiking. No, they didn't. And you know what? No, they're not going to stop. <laughs> well, in Wyoming, that's for yeah. the best, though, because, yeah, you will get picked up if you throw your thumb out. Yeah, well, I didn't figure that out. Yeah, and so. Rawlings, you can get tossed in jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I yeah. was warned heavily when I went yeah, through it. Wait, it was either Rawlings or it was Casper. I can't remember which one, but one of them, it was like, I got dropped off there, yeah. and I was told by everyone I ran into, they're like, are you hitching? And I was like, yeah. And I'm like, don't throw your thumb out. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, no, that's, it's the same in, um, in Nevada, or Nevada, however you want to say it. They have the stupidest hitchhiking law there. It's illegal to put your thumb in the air. Right. That's the illegal act. It's right? the, yeah, it's the, um, not proposition. S- uh, solicitation. Uh, solicitation, yeah. But you can, and I got this straight from a Nevada highway patrolman, you can hold a sign. Really? Yeah. It's the <laughs> stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. 
So you can you can that sit down on sense. an on ramp. I did it on I five or not I five, whatever the the road is that goes from uh, Las Vegas to Los Angeles. And yeah, just sit down on the backpack and have a sign set up. Work like a charm. You just cannot put your thumb in the air. That's weird. It, it's stupid. you know what I was told in Wyoming when I was I got uh, I got a ride out of Yellowstone. Yeah, and the guys driving me along. We're going along great, and then in the middle of the road, like. Going down the Shoshone, right? Yeah. On 287. Yeah. And we drove for maybe an hour or so. And it, there's nothing there. Nothing. Absolutely nothing, nothing there. Not even trees. No. Yeah. That's just not even space or dirt or anything. Yeah. There's just a void. Yeah. And um, we're driving along, and all of a sudden, the guy realizes through GPS or something that he's going absolutely in the wrong direction. So he needs to turn around and go the other way. So he just, so I get out there. Nothing there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm picturing this. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I'm like, okay, you know. And me with my philosophy on hitching is like, take the less traveled roads because sure. the few cars that travel it see a guy who's stranded in the middle of nowhere and are more likely to give you a ride. It's legit. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, okay, this isn't so bad. So I'm throwing my thumb out, and, and I'm in Wyoming, which I figured was hitching friendly. It's a cowboy country, right? Conservative. Yeah. And uh, and I'm clean cut. I don't look yeah. like a hippie or anything. Uh, that helps. Yeah, a lot, especially in those states. Then a cop comes along and he tells me, basically he wrote me a warning. Mm-hmm. It's a, one of the two warnings that I have. The other one I got the next day further down in Wyoming. But um, I got a, a warning ticket mm-hmm. saying like, you know, you can't, you're not allowed to hitch. And I said, well, can you give me a ride then? Because I'm stuck. Right. You know, I mean, like this, you know, this is the middle of nowhere. How yeah. am I supposed to get out of here? And the guy said, well, the only way I can give you a ride is if I arrest you. And I said, okay, well, let's not go that route. Right. How, what else can I do? And he's like, well, just stand here, face traffic and have your bag in front of you. People know what you're doing. <laughs> I was like, okay, so, so you're telling me to hitch, but don't hitch. what can't I do? And he's yeah. like, well, don't throw your thumb out and don't have a sign. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'll do that. It's some of the, it's so stupid. <laughs> but I just, yeah, I mean that's what I did, and I got out of there. Yeah, I was yeah. out of there in five minutes. But it was still, yeah. it was like the state trooper who wrote me a ticket for hitching, or a warning. Yeah, told me to hitch. Yeah, well, that's what the guy in, in Las Vegas. Yeah, the guy in Vegas was the same thing. It was just like, yeah, just make sure, please don't put your thumb in the air. Right. You can write a sign. Just. <laughs> What is the point of this? Yeah, I don't understand. This <laughs> yeah. is this is the thing I struggle with. This is this is the kind of thing that in my return to the states, yeah, I'm like, yeah, we I don't want to face bureaucracy. Well, yeah, you remember New Jersey? It was I we're getting way off track here, but New Jersey the next year it was the same thing. We're sitting here trying to hitch in New Jersey, trying to get up toward. Uh, well, there the culture's not even there. I mean, no, they're not going to no, pick you up. No, no, you know? no. <laughs> like, but, no yeah, it's the same. That's idea. like trying to hitch here. Now, that, that day that I was uh, going up 287, I remember we talked on the phone because I, I seemed to recall that you had take, taken 287. I was familiar mm-hmm. with 287 from living in Denver and uh, mm-hmm. I think New, New Mexico. I think it goes. No, it's Texas. Yeah. Either way. It goes down through there. <clears throat> whatever. I knew that we were up there and I, I was trying to do the same mm-hmm. thing that you were. I was sitting on the bag and out in the middle of nowhere running low on water. And I'm like, okay, people don't know what I'm doing. I didn't really have any knowledge of the. The, mm-hmm. you know, the law or the statute or anything. So I was just sitting there out of shyness and I didn't have my thumb and nobody would stop. I, all I had, the only interaction I had with any traffic was a bunch of teenagers driving by telling me to go get a fucking job. Right. That was it. But I happened to be uh, set up 
right next to this public land, this public use land for like dune buggies and all this other crap. I guess it was like uh, recreation, whatever. Right. So I, it's getting dark. I need a place to sleep. Oh, hey, it's public. I think I'll walk in here and I'll, I'll meander around. First thing I see is like this old car that had been there since the Eisenhower administration. Mm-hmm. I think it was that old, but it was full of bullet Oops. holes. You know, so people were coming out with their shotguns, right, yeah. blowing the shit out of this stuff. And so anyway, whatever. What are the odds that anybody's going to show up? It's getting dark. I'm going to throw my tent up. Had a nice little fire that I started with. Uh, shit. Yeah. Cow shit, I think. <laughs> yeah. And it, it does burn, thanks to, uh, what's his name, Les Stroud from Survivor, man. I, I knew that I could start a fire with dry cow shit mm-hmm. or horse shit or whatever it was. I burnt Canada out of my atlas to <laughs> get everything going. What do I need Canada for, right? I mean, anyway. And I sit there, and I'm in my tent. I'm having the greatest time. Got my little fire going. I finally lay down, and a fucking car pulls into this place. And it goes back to what we were talking about with the stories earlier, because they, mm-hmm. were, they were just bouncing around doing their little things. The sun is still kind of up mm-hmm. at this point, so I can kind of see, and they can see down toward me, and I, like, pop up, and I know they see me. Mm-hmm. With my big yellow rain fly, oh, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> on this massive two man tent yeah. out in the middle with no trees, nothing. Right. I didn't think there was any possibility anybody be coming back here. Right. Well, they did. So I, 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 I like tear the rain fly off of this thing, but I'm, I'm like in bug out mode here. I would have torn the whole tent down and moved. There was no place better to go mm-hmm. at this point. Anywhere I go that I can walk to, unless I, I spend two hours going over the ridge into the like the step over here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not going to be any better. So I'm like, all right. And I get in my tent, and I every noise for the rest of the fucking night, I've got these imaginations of this thing going in my head. Like, I was thinking that they had buried their pot out there. Mm-hmm. And they had, like, 15 pounds of pot. They're drug runners, and they're afraid that I'm out there to fucking go steal it. So they're going to come and... <laughs> kill me yeah and they're gonna beat me up oh, and take totally my know that take my cliff bars out of my bag and, mm-hmm. they're you know, totally after your cliff bars yeah exactly well I, yeah <laughs> hey you know they're, they're they fucking pack really well they want those they're cliff three dollars a pop yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're gonna use me for target practice or whatever and bury me mm-hmm. but every noise that i heard and we're out in the middle of fucking wyoming there are there's livestock you know there's there's shit out there there's wildlife out there there's coyotes out there yeah i mean any so i didn't get much sleep that night Mm-hmm. And uh, but it was it was funny because I when I sat down to write this up, it reminded me of Vern mm-hmm. from the movie Stand by Me. You know, he's mm-hmm. sitting out there and they're camping out on their way to see the body, and he's he's sitting there with the gun. He's, he's got his gun, gun. yeah. <laughs> Every time, any any noisy that was me that first night. It was it was a seminal moment for me mm-hmm. because it, it it really highlighted. That was in that first year too, wasn't it? It was in the first month. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah, yeah. actually it was the first. It was the uh, the end of the first trip, the first ten day little excursion that I took. When I dropped you off at Morgan, y- yeah, yeah. Because okay. I, I started there in Morgan, and I got the ride with Dennis, the eventual cop killer guy, right. to Glenwood Springs. And stayed went there. Up. Yeah, went to uh, toward Rifle, and then I I got the ride north to Rollins. Right, okay. and so that was right at the end. Anyway, it was a seminal moment because uh, it helped me later on remember going through that and how it's just such bullshit they were mm. just out there doing what the fuck ever they saw a tent and whatever some guy with a tent yeah. right yeah. what are we doing <laughs> yeah the only yeah. time i had anybody roll up on me was actually they were checking to see if i was alive yeah and that was in wyoming oh well that's that was nice on, of them yeah, yeah i was i was outside of casper yeah. actually or, or whichever town that is that i would have gotten arrested on <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah i had camped that night 
there was frost in the morning mm-hmm. and you know i'd like to sleep in that um the alpine or the aurora whichever one that bivy bag yeah mm-hmm. and um and it looks like a body bag yeah yeah it is and, yeah <laughs> and i much. was on top of um some thick piece of foam that i had found on the side of the yeah the, you know styrofoam thing for mm-hmm. the loft yeah um but there was snow and fr- well, not snow but frost everywhere right. and there yeah. was frost on the bag and everything and so it's just this like stiff looking frozen body bag <laughs> You know, yeah. 20, 30 feet off the side With of the road. Feet poking up at the bottom so you can see there's a person in yeah, there. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. this, I woke up to a pickup truck with, you know, Wyoming plate t- yeah. pickup truck driving straight at me. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, Wyoming, they just... Yeah. They want to see something on the side of the road. They're not going to get out of the car. They're going to drive over there. Fuck yeah. That's what they got the truck for. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So they head right over there and I'm like, oh shit. You know, yeah. and I don't sleep with any clothes on. So I wasn't going to get on either. Jesus. So <laughs> I hastily like unzip the thing and poke my head out. I was like, hey. Yeah, you know. Right, right. Yeah. And I'm like, oh shit. We just checking to see if there's a dead body in there. <laughs> <laughs> nope. And I was like, just no, a naked one. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. And they're no. like, all right. And then they took off and I was like, shit, I should ask them for a ride. <laughs> yeah. 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 Instead, I got a ride with a dump truck. <laughs> yeah. That was, I, I, I figured out that, you know, they call it stealth camping. Mm-hmm. And I think it was that moment be, that I figured out that, yeah, you need to be stealthy. You know, you need to put a lot of effort into making sure mm-hmm. that you're not going to be seen. Because I never, any time after that, this was in, uh, I guess, May of, or May, maybe right around June 1st of 2008. The only other time that I've ever been seen stealth camping was that Nevada trip. Nevada in 2016 and mm-hmm. it was because I got lazy I was camped out behind a, uh, a truck stop mm-hmm. like I was far enough off and actually I didn't get lazy this guy was fucking drunk or you know he was high and he didn't want to walk over the overpass <laughs> to go to the next gas station nice. to get beer yeah. right so what he was he doing he was so fucked up he was going to walk across the interstate and so he was he was going to cross the run across the interstate so we wouldn't have to walk the overpass how messed up he was and so he's i see him i'm sitting up i think i was writing on my phone like right. writing a blog post or something like that and i see this guy coming I'm like what the fuck is this right and i i had my knife uh-huh. and i was getting like all puffy I'm like, all right, God damn it! I better look big. I gotta look mean. I gotta, you know, look yeah, this yeah. guy in the eye when yeah. he comes at me, and all. And I scared him more. He scared me. He's like, "What the no, fuck I'm... is this? Don't you shoot me!" Right. That's what he said to me. <laughs> nice. All right, it's all right, dude. And he's like, he "Yeah, we're cool." Yeah. And he's like, really trying really hard to make sure that I know that he's not there to fuck with me because I, I, I probably look pretty anxious at that. Right. Point. Yeah. 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 I can imagine the look on my face. But he, anyway, he goes over. He goes to the highway. Mm-hmm. And he thinks better of running across the interstate to go get beer at this gas, whatever the fuck he was going to get. So he, and then he comes back the same way. Hey, I'm coming back now. Now, now don't you shoot me. It's just me now. <laughs> it's just me. You were old friends. Yeah. And and again, you know, it's like okay, this is cool. He's at least you know, in the moment, it's like all right, yeah. And then. Despite the Vern moment, despite everything else mm-hmm. that's happened over the last, I guess it was uh, eight, jumping. eight years at this point. Yeah, he's just working me. Mm-hmm. I bet you he might just be where he might just be putting me at ease. He can come back later and stake my cliff bars again. You know, something. It's just your mind. No, what I it know. Does I, to you. If I am ever seen, I don't think I was though. I mean, other than the times that I just pop up way out in the open. Yeah. You know, and I would do that. I only started doing that when I got on that walk when I got to Western Kansas. Doing what? Just camping out in the open. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the only time I would do that, well, I, I started doing it that because I had had no problems with anybody. Yeah, the whole way, everyone had been 
if they weren't apathetic to me, they were super hospitable. Sure. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like either they just were like, okay, whatever. Yeah. You know, or they're like, oh, well, that's super cool. What are you doing? You know? At that point, you were, you were like throwing your tent up literally off to the side, just on the other side of the road. Yeah, I was right like there at the 15, side of the 20 feet off the side of the road. In, yeah, why? Yeah. I just can't even fathom. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, and I did that all the way into Denver. Pretty much. Never had any and then, issues or anything. Else. Nope. Had a couple. Of, you didn't you have a cop stop and warn you about that or something? But it was it's actually, legal because it's public right away. Yeah, that was that was actually when I found out it was legal. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was illegal and just nobody cared. And so it was when Angie and I were breaking up on the side of the road. That wasn't two two eighty seven heading up to Laramie. Yeah, it was eight miles south of, of the Wyoming border in Colorado, mm-hmm. and um, we were camped out there. And that's just a really long stretch of straight highway. Yeah. And we were there two nights in the midst of our breakup. And our cop came, I think, the first or second night, I can't remember which, and said, like, you know, I can't legally tell you to move this because this is public land, but you're on the most dangerous stretch of highway and you're, you know, you're likely to get plowed over by a truck. And, you know, I can't officially tell you to do this, but I think if you went over on the other side of that barbed wire onto that private property, which would be illegal, I think no one would bother you. So he was telling us not to do something legal, to do something illegal. For your own safety, though. In, yeah, in, in, the, in the idea of safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were so pissed off at each other, we didn't move anything. But we didn't really care if a car, truck blowed <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it, it's a good time to it. die yeah, anyway. Exactly. <laughs> um, but that was when I found out that it was legal. Yeah, that's what I liked about the interstate. So a lot of times, I feel like we're going all over the place. It's all right. Uh, mm-hmm. It's what a podcast is for. But I, I found that there, there's a difference, A, and I, I don't want to focus on this, but there's a difference between the cops out east and mm-hmm. the cops out west. For sure. If and the cops in the middle. I preferred, and I still prefer, the interstates. Mm-hmm. Because my preferred place to camp is between the interstate and the on-ramp. There's usually... In, in, depending on the terrain and the, and the uh, oh, the and clump of to, trees. That's, yeah, yeah. I'm always weary of those because there's always someone in there. I've never seen anybody. Really? Never. I always feel that's, like that's there would be my primary Maybe spot. It's you. It could be. Yeah, it <laughs> probably is. You should say hi, and you should say, "Hey, it's me. It's I'm me. Not sneaking up on you." But uh, I, I ran into a cop in. Um, uh, that's where we camped in I-80. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was great, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, but I ran into a, a police officer just after we hopped the train. In La Grande, Oregon, we were hitchhiking and we were trying to figure out a place to camp. I was traveling with this guy that I'd hopped the train with, but we were trying to figure this out. We had no idea where to go at this point, and the cop pulled off where we were sitting on the ramp, and he ran our ID. He was really cool about it, but he still, you know, did the papers please shit. And when he got done and figured out that we were not criminals, weren't wanted anywhere, he's like, "Yeah, if I were you, I would camp basically between the interstate and this on ramp." Because nobody's going to come down there, mm-hmm. and odds are, you know, it's going to be pretty safe. That's not a place where probably cars are going to be, you know, running off into the ditch and, and squashing you. If it was me, that's where I would go. Because mm-hmm. <clears throat> we'd ask him questions about walking the interstate. It's right. legal in Oregon. Not advisable, but it's legal. Yeah, I've done it. Pain in the ass. It sucks. Dangerous when you catch a ride, you got to run a mile to get it. <laughs> yeah, that's why they don't <laughs> stop. It's interesting that the, the cop story that you had in Colorado and, and mine, it's out east, they don't do that. Not that I'm aware of, anyway. The no, guy, I don't think so, yeah. Every interaction that I've had, not every, but a lot of the interactions I've had with the police out east have been... At least in the northeast, yeah. Yeah, it's been pretty... Down uh, south, they were super helpful. Really? Yeah, like when we did our walk, and I was scared of the southern cops. Mm-hmm. The only kind of interaction that we had with them was really pleasant. Well, yeah, I told you about the uh, the Texas hitch that I did in 2013. Mm-hmm. And I'm out, um, I forget where, 
somewhere, uh, it was in West Texas, a barren area. I'm walking, I'm walking, I'm walking. It's hot out. Somebody called uh-huh. to do a welfare check on me because they thought I was overheated. Yeah, they did that uh, when I was in Colorado heading down to you in, uh, in the beginning in yeah. 09. Yeah. The county sheriff shows up, and she checks on me and runs my ID. Mm-hmm. But then she's like, yeah, well, we do what we call courtesy rides here. Uh, we can take you to the state line if you want. And if you know Texas, state lines, the counties, that's fucking huge. Yeah. So she throws me in her <laughs> that's car. like 30, 40 miles. It was. No, it really was. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she throws me in her, her truck, her car, whatever. I think it was a truck. And she even stopped at a little convenience store. She's like, you need anything? Yeah, just pull in here. So I go in and I fill my water up. I grab right. like a Gatorade and wander <laughs> around. Like I just, like I'm hanging out with my aunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I walk out, stand by this fucking county, this, this county sheriff cruiser, mm-hmm. waiting for her to come back out so I can hop in the front seat. Right. And she takes me and drops me off right at the state line in town. Mm-hmm. It was great. She was pl- really friendly woman. But yeah. it, out east, it's just, you know, I, I'm from Michigan. It's just, it's a completely foreign idea to me right. that the police would ever be. No, because, I, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I've had those interactions here. No, no, me neither. My, usually, I'm trying to think of any encounters that I've had with the police here, and they have been just, you know, getting ticketed, or I think that's it, getting ticketed. Yeah, there's just, there's some <laughs> you know? difference in the culture, I guess. I guess it's the only word. It's kind of cliche, but th- there's something in law enforcement culture out West mm-hmm. that's different from the Midwest. Yeah. And actually, I, when I hitched out, I was in Massachusetts and I was heading down one of the back state roads and a cop pulled over and didn't harass me or anything, but, you know, kind of gruffly was like one of those. You know it's illegal to do that. You shouldn't. You know, mm-hmm. can't do that. And I was like, okay. The hitchhiking. Sorry, I didn't realize hitchhiking yeah. was illegal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then they left, and then I caught a ride shortly after that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 not, it may not be legal, but it's effective. Right. Anyway, let's let's try to let's try to get back to the, the yeah, Wyoming. Yeah, thing. I don't know like, where we were. We're still in Wyoming. We're still hanging out on 287, I think. Yeah. Uh, so you're heading north, and uh, I really wanted to get into this because there's. The stories that you had, at least from the Wyoming part of that walk, mm-hmm. uh, the getting lost and all that, were really fascinating. So you're heading up toward 280. Where were you trying to get to heading up 287? Medicine Bow. Medicine Bow. And then you yeah, because the idea was go up to Medicine Bow. and then, So 287 goes through Laramie, across whatever that one is, I-80? Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Crosses that and then goes into this weird loop that just goes nowhere. I mean, it arcs <laughs> at Medicine Bow. Uh, Medicine Bow is essentially a hotel. It's the Virginian, the the same Virginian that the book is based off. Okay, Um, so that was kind of neat to see. And it took me three days to get up there from crossing the highway. I think so. It was like these little ghost towns. One of the towns was a complete ghost town. Hmm. Um, One of the ones is basically it was a a general store and a couple farms around it. So. you know, maybe 50, 100 people there, something like that. It was a general store I could pop into. That's when I found out Reagan was dead. Oh. And, <laughs> um, and then got up into Medicine Bow, and all I remember about that was the Virginian. I had mm. dinner there. And from there, I went into the Seminole Reservoir, uh, which is a big kind of national park. And then the Ferris Desert connects with that mm. over to where 287 kind of shoots up. Okay. Uh, north south connecting the two highways that go through uh, Wyoming. 
So my idea was there's no way to diagonally cut through Wyoming. So my right. thought was I'll just cut through those, go through the national parks. I was fine going through the Seminole Reservoir, but then uh, once I got to the reservoir, filled up all my water, had a had a lunch there, and then continued on towards the along the the northern end of the ridge. That was when it came across the the rattlesnake was the first surprise. That one I was just walking along and. I don't know. I'm looking around. It's beautiful out there, you know? Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> next thing you know, I hear this rattle going and I'm about to step on a fucking rattlesnake. It's <laughs> it's in the, I had surprised it as much as it had surprised me. That's not good. No, no. <laughs> and my reaction was there was a drop off on the right and a, you know, a sheer cliff on the or not sheer, but it was a steep incline on the left. Hmm. Um and so if I I don't know, none of this is logical sense when you when you're watching this happen you're just thinking i need to get to the other side and i can't go any other way so i just jumped and thankfully the thing was still coiling so they can't i guess they can't spring when they're coiling um and so i just jumped over the snake and it's sort of like they they just stay put for hours afterwards so it wasn't gonna chase me or anything like yeah, that but yeah, i was yeah. on the other side of it and i just kept going um but that was a shocker because had it bit me i probably would have been dead because Real no one knew i was out there no one would have come out there how big was it oh i don't know it was coiling so yeah i mean you know, i it, didn't really take a lot of time to look at it yeah, but did, it, did was, it look huge or a little guy uh, or? i don't know three four feet something like that yeah big enough <laughs> yeah enough to <laughs> yeah. bite me yeah. <laughs> yeah. it definitely wasn't a baby um but yeah i mean no one would have come out there yeah no one's hiking out there. It was fucking what was that? End of June. Yeah. And um so yeah, I would have just been stuck. Somehow get myself back there, but I know that I did know that the more you move, you, you know, your spreads, limbs, right. the more it spreads. So yeah. you want to stay stiff. Yeah. Um and there's no cell reception out there. <laughs> so anyways, so especially 2004. Yeah, <laughs> move past that and um and then weirdly, in the middle of a desert, came across a swamp <laughs> that I think was constructed by beavers. Um, yeah. So there, I was all of a sudden like hopping from these like weird grass mounds, uh, grass mound to grass mound, just latching onto uh, small bushes yeah. to keep myself from falling in the water. And it was on the other side of that that I realized that my pack had broken. Uh, somewhere in there, it had snapped. One of one pole had snapped, so I took the pack off and tried to like adjust it, and ended yeah. up trying to adjust it. The other pole snapped too. Oh Jesus! So then I took out my duct tape, and taped the shit out of both. I don't know, put them on top of each other yeah, and duct taped the shit yeah. out of it. Right. And I wore it like that for the next three weeks. That um, because of the you know the the break. Yeah, it's a metal, external metal frame. So the, the, I don't know, metal fibers or whatever, the points coming out of that just mm-hmm. dug into my back over three weeks of hiking. I uh, have these like perfectly, two perfectly circular backs on the small, or uh, scars on the small of my back that I like to tell people every now and again that I was abducted by aliens. <laughs> <laughs> you still have them. They're still there. Um, I don't think so anymore. Yeah. I think they've faded away, but um, they were there for a good long, several years. But yeah, and then shortly after that, I got lost going, taking what I thought was the the pass between the mountains. So it's two ranges Mm -hmm. with a pass in between. So I thought I was taking the pass. Instead, I ended up going up an incline and ended up on the top of the mountain. 
was so pissed off about being on top of this mountain <laughs> and like having hiked all the way up here. I was like, Jesus Christ. And with the, everything else that had happened, I was like, well, fuck it. I'm not going to get angry. I'm going to at least enjoy this moment and take a picture. That's when mm. I found out my camera was gone. <laughs> Pretty sure it had fallen in the swamp. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? And all this is while, this is while the, the, the pack is due. So you climbed this mountain with a pack digging into the small of your back because mm-hmm. it had snapped on you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then I went down the other side and kind of meandered my way around. By, by nightfall, I had found power lines. And I had remembered um, reading, um, who was it, Dr. Feinstein, the guy who worked on the Manhattan Project. I don't know. Anyways, he, he had a book of all his like weird exploits, yeah. you know, like weird short stories. He's a funny guy and he's got a bunch of stories. And so I had read that and I remembered one of them was when he was in college and his fraternity had dropped him off with a bunch of guys in the middle of nowhere to find their way home. And he had found his way home by following the power lines. And um, it had something to do with the direction you followed them had to do with they either got more or less. But I was going west anyway, so I just followed them west. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> and uh, camped out somewhere along there and uh, got into the Ferris Desert. And there's a ghost town there. So I'm walking. I had, <laughs> it was super windy. You know, it's desert. It's super windy. It's Wyoming. It's all yeah. flat. Um, you know, well, except for these mountains that just crop up out of nowhere. So there's like weird wind tunnels that are focusing it on you. And, um, and it was super windy that day. So I had my goggles on those ones that look like Hagrid, <laughs> you know, great. I had those on cause I just loved it. Had, you know, it was all like bundled up cause it's freezing coming up on this ghost town where the power lines went to. And I am <laughs> walking into this town and I see this, uh, like small camper truck coming up a road also to the ghost town, which the ghost town is the dead end of this road. And so, and we happened to reach the town at the same time. That's fortuitous. Yeah. Maybe. And we're looking at each other with the same... It was this old couple in there. I don't know. They're like 60, 70 years old. Yeah. And I'm looking at them with the same look that they're looking at me of like, what the fuck are you doing out here? <laughs> and apparently they had one... Uh, they do a lottery system for hunting areas. Right. And they had... That was their area that they were going to hunt in. And they were just coming to check it out. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm walking across country. And so they put me up in their, in their trailer and fed me and gave me, you know, gave me Get a bunch water. of food. And I'm drinking yeah. a bunch of uh, Mountain Dew, I think they had. And, and I was like, oh, well, hey, you know, like I've been out of touch for five days now or something like that or four days and I had told my mom, you know, I would get in touch with her uh, when I got out, which I thought would be around now, but I clearly have a lot longer to go. Can you mm-hmm. go onto my website and sign into the guest book to say like, hey, it was great seeing you or something so that the other people can see. Later on, I found out that the guest book was actually down the whole time that I was out. Oh. So not only was I out of contact for 10 days and, <laughs> and off lost in the desert, but there was no one, and yeah. it was a pretty regular thing on the guest book that people would sign in, mm, yeah, you yeah. know, like multiple multiple guest book entries per day saying like, oh, good to see you, or sure. it's cool meeting you, or go on, you know. Mm-hmm. So to have that not, because ha- nobody knew it was down, <laughs> right? I yeah. mean, no one's checking on it unless I see that there's nothing going on and call my friend who was managing the website and said, Hey, there's no, you know, I think yeah. there's something going wrong with the guest book, but because I'm out of touch, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. So my mom is freaking out back home because she, yeah, she's seeing course. nobody's seeing me. Nobody's yeah. posting on this guest book. 
the whole time that I'm out of out of touch. And <laughs> wow. Um, so, anyways, long story short, I got I got out of there. I um, made it cross 287, and then got into the Continental Divide Basin. That's where I really got lost for about four days. Um, must have been only two or three days at that point by the by the desert. Because I was out of touch ten days, I was in, I was lost for four in the basin, and it took me two more days to get to a town to get online or get to a payphone where I could call and let my mom know that I was fine and I was gone ten total. So what's yeah. that? That's four days, I guess. But you talk about the the they must have you know like the guys driving around in Wyoming that they must have like pot buried somewhere and they're off you know this yeah, whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. When I was going through the basin. I went through this area that had these weird mounds and they looked uniform kind of. Yeah. And by this time I was going overland a lot, right? I was yeah. getting off roads and I was walking overland because I was seeing these roads go straight north for miles or, you know, in opposite directions. And I had a map. It was topographical. I just was doing a real shitty job reading it. So um, I would go overland and just be in the literally the middle of nowhere where nobody's going to be going driving around. Right. So that was real smart. But <laughs> but I'm out in this place where there's these weird mounds everywhere. And I swear, you know, I'm so in my head at this point because I haven't seen a person since Medicine Bow, really, outside yeah. of that old couple. Yeah, yeah. Or I hadn't seen a bear oil. There's a place called Bear Oil that was creepy as fuck. What's uh, it called? Bear Oil. It was like B-A-R oil. B-A-R, bar oil? Bar oil, yeah. It's about five miles west of the 287. That's I walk. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like a driller's town or something like that. It's okay. so fucking creepy. It's just a giant cul-de-sac around a huge pit in the middle of the town that is just filled with tires. You know, like people throwing their trash in there. It's like a sinkhole or something, but it's huge. It's like maybe 100, 150 feet across. Something like that, if I remember it right, and that that's the like the town square. <laughs> I guess like so. I don't know. And then on top of it is like a. I seem to remember on top of it was like a, like an electrical tower or something like that, or maybe it was an old oil drill or something. I don't know, but it was a big you know wireframe structure, and <laughs> it's just so creepy. So I'm yeah. seeing when I'm walking up that road coming. So like I. I walk down the dirt road that the old couple had come across. I get to 287. There's a diner there. So I go in there and I have a dinner. And then I get out of there and I go walk up the road. About five miles was the stretch to Barwell. And there's cars passing me, right? It's like five, six in the evening. So everyone's coming home from work. I get up there. There's not a single car in the driveway. And there's not a single light in the house. Where the fuck are they going? They're all going home. They're parking their cars in the garage and they're pulling their shades down. You can see lights coming out from the behind the shades, but <laughs> it's fucking creepiest place I've yeah. ever been to. And then I, uh, so I walked around the cul-de-sac. I managed to see a mechanic was the only person that I saw out at all. I asked him, I was like, hey, is there like a library around here that I could get online? Because I wanted to check in. I think it was Sunday the day I got there maybe. Uh, and he's like, yeah, there's a library over over there, but you should talk to the police chief. I think he told me to do that. Either way, I went over there. I ran into the police chief anyway. Mm-hmm. He looked exactly like Brian Dennehy. <laughs> and, but just totally bundled up. Yeah. Big barrel of a guy walking two bulldogs. Super friendly. I was like, is there a place to camp around here? I'd like to hit the library tomorrow to yeah. get online. And he's like, yeah, you can camp in the uh, in the playground. 
<laughs> so that's what I did. I camped in the playground. I mean, the chief of police tells you to do it in you a creepy town like that. You do it. I'm going to do it. Uh, so, yeah, so I did that. Next day, Reagan's dead. So, and either that was a Sunday or he was dead. But for whatever reason, the library was closed and I couldn't get online and I couldn't do anything. So, I was like, oh, whatever. And then the chief of police, he gives me this shortcut. And that's basically what got me lost in the basin because that was the <laughs> town that launched me into going into the divide. Uh, so, he, he tried to give you the short, like a, a quick He was route trying to help me out. And, and somewhere in there, didn't. I got lost pretty yeah. easily. And uh, yeah, and then I didn't see anybody again for a long time. And then you finally get out where, and how does that go? How does that I happen? got out. Well, for one, I loaded up on, on water. Yeah, I was going to ask. You had water. Obviously. I had 10, yeah. 10 liters of water. Jesus. I yeah. mean, I don't think I did have that, that dromedary because I remember wanting to have 10 liters of water or just wanting more water, and I got an extra gallon, like a milk gallon thing that I filled up and I hung that off the back full gotcha. off my pack. I carry... I just, well, I'm curious how much water you actually ten. left. What, 10 liters? I definitely had 10 liters because I remember carrying it all the way through. Yeah. Because I was... I thought I was in a desert, and so I assumed there was no water. Yeah. So anytime I did pass water, which was frequent, Felt. I thought it was the last water that I was going to see. So I'd top up anything that That's I smart. had drunk. And what I was drinking was sparse because I didn't think I was going to have any and I needed to make it all the way through this basin. You're in survival mode at that point. I was in stupid mode because (laughs) I wasn't drinking anything and I wasn't paying attention to the fact that I was running across water. So when I came out of there, I I carried 10 liters of water through this basin and still came out completely dehydrated and windburned. Despite having 10 liters of water. Yeah. How much did you walk out with? Ten liters. You came out fully, <laughs> fully loaded and still dehydrated and windburned. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 And then I ended up. I was trying to give you credit for survival mode, but. No. If you walked in with as much as you walked out, you probably could have drank some. Well, yeah, I was just like sipping little bits. Could have drank more. Right. <laughs> and then I'd run across the stream and I'd be like, oh, I'm going to top up what I did drink. Yeah. What were you filtering with? Did you have your MSR at that point? I was using that like crank pump. Yeah, the MSR. yeah. So you were filtering and not drinking it out of. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, there's cattle all over the place. Yeah, oh, I don't know. Yeah, no, and drink then drink out I, of the taps down in Peru. So. I found the yeah. Well, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I got to. Um, no, it's not fine, kids. Do not drink <laughs> out of the taps in Peru. I'm telling you, I don't care what he does. He's got a superhuman immune system at this point. No, don't. It's not fine. <laughs> well, I came across. I camped right next to the Sweetwater River. I think it was the last day that I got out that I was in the basin mm. and uh Sweetwater River is a big river is well it's not a creek and it, it's maybe 10 15 feet wide what's that 4 feet deep maybe something like yeah. that and mm-hmm. pretty strong so I camped there I had a great time I drank a lot of water then because it's right next to me sure right and I'm camped so I I was able to cook a meal you know and wash everything and and refill all my water that I went through and then in the morning 7 in the morning right I'm all packed up by seven, ready to go. The sun is still, you know, sun's out, but it's, so it's light, but it hasn't been out. So it hasn't warmed the river in any way. (laughs) And I need to get across it. (laughs) And like I say, it's a strong river. Yeah. Chest deep. Yeah. So I take my backpack off, throw it on top of my head, get a nice sturdy stick. I think I was worried about broken glass. So I wore my sandals across and waded chest deep into the river with everything that I have on your head. on my head 
against this current that's just dying to push me all the way downstream. Yeah. And this was the one crossing. So if I went there, you know, funneled into a canyon. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so getting out would have been difficult. But I made it across. And I ended up having to do that. That was the worst of them. Yeah. And it was fucking freezing. But well, and you're in it almost all the way. Yeah. Almost fully submerged in it. With what I'm wearing. Yeah. You know, for the rest of the day. Oh, you went in, you didn't strip. You know, you'll sleep naked, but you didn't, you didn't take your clothes off where you went in there? I don't think, I think I wore my bathing suit and I think I had, well, I had that shirt on that was, it dried out in no time. Yeah, right, right. Okay, it so you weren't out. wearing like your your hiking pants or and your boots and all that, no, and socks no. and all that shit. So no, no. Just, I, like I said, I went in in sandals. I didn't have many clothes with me. I had yeah. those shorts and I had my pants. And yeah. if I fell, all of that was going to be soaked. Right. Although no, I think I had everything in like a bomber bag at that point. Mm-hmm. Either way, I made it across, and I was still lost as fuck. The only thing guiding me out of there was the Shoshone Mountains. I knew they were where I was going, and I knew. As long as I was aiming towards them, I'd find my place on the map every now and again. Yeah. And I'd be like 10 miles north of where I thought I was going to be or 10 miles south of where I thought I was going to be. Yeah. Wandering all over. I mean, my, that was like a big zigzag all the way across. <laughs> but what, what got me out of there was I ended up finding the Oregon Trail and uh, with little markers. Oh, sweet. Along oh, the way. that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I followed the Oregon Trail and the Being Mormon Trail. Being rescued by the fucking Mormon Trail. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Brigham Young. Yeah. Well, they forged a lot of rivers. So well, yeah. I had to do that a couple times. Yeah, but I kept, you know, that's, I was like. That's some pretty badass cred there. You know? <laughs> Wanted through a desert to be rescued by the Oregon Mormon Trail. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, it was another two days before I got to Pine Yeah, but you're doing the Oregon Trail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had this thing about trails, man. I told you about the I wanted to do the the Santa Fe Trail and uh had ideas about like biking yeah, slash hiking. I think that, that one oh no, Santa Fe Trail is south, isn't it? Yeah, it's New Mexico. It's like southern Colorado. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and yeah. this was a bunch of trails. I was gonna say Santa Fe might have been one of them too, but no. there's no way. No. That doesn't I think sense. well the Oregon Trail I think is a, like a uh, the Oregon Trail and the Mormon Trail are overlapping for a long time. Yeah, but there, there, it's not just one trail though. I don't think. I think there are several that sort of merge into it or something. That's yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think. Yeah. I mean, the further east you get, because they're yeah. coming from all over the place. Yeah. 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 And this was in. You're talking Western Wyoming at this point, right? Yeah, because I went into Pinedale, and shortly after Pinedale is, uh, is like, uh, I think it's Scotts Bluff, and or no, Jackson. I didn't go through Jackson Jackson Hole, but. I don't know, there's some junction there or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And then up into just south of Driggs and Idaho Falls eventually. Yeah, yeah. That's so you're, you're, you're right around the Tetons. Yeah. I went just south of the Tetons. Beautiful. A beautiful country. Yeah. So you got two or three days on the Oregon Trail and you're finally uh, you know, I guess. Uh, no, just the one day on the Oregon Trail. And then I that took me to the highway. Oh, okay. And All then right. from the highway, there was a connecting road. And that's what I followed the next two days. And it was right. two days after that that I reached Pinedale gotcha. and was able to call my mom. And, and she's happy. And that was 10 days out of contact. I had, it was at a uh, some diner mm-hmm. and I had two or three dinners sitting there just drinking the fuck out of coffee. I was so depressed when I got there. I was so like, because that's the thing is like, you forget what not eating food will do to you. Yeah. 
You know, so let's, I was let's just talk like, about what that. the fuck am I doing? Let's yeah, talk about drizzling. that. You obviously didn't starve to death, and you were you were walking a lot. So what were you well, doing for food? What minimally, I was, you know, those hamburger helpers. It, yeah. It's fine for me, but tell right, people right. Are listening, uh, what, like, what, what did you carry, and how did you, you know, sustain yourself? Obviously, you weren't eating at diners every day. No, no, so. yeah. So what I would carry generally was um, that healthy amount of cliff bars, you know, usually yeah. like 10, 12, yep. 15 cliff bars on me. Yep. I think I bulked up even more because I knew I was going in the middle of nowhere uh, and I knew I'd need to eat. And then I would have like two or three hamburger helpers cause they're light, they're easy to carry. And you know, <laughs> every time I tell people that they think I use it with the hamburger. Well, that's what a normal people would think. You're talking hamburger helper. The word hamburger is in there. So what? It is in there, but who would carry hamburger? <laughs> they probably think you're nuts. So <laughs> yeah. no. So all I used it for was the noodles and the and the yeah. seasoning. And how'd you cook it? Uh, you just boil up water, and you just with oh, uh, jeez. Um, what did I have? A dragonfly? And like a stove. Yeah, like yeah, a little yeah. stove. So you weren't building fires and putting your... No, 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 no. No, this was with like a little gas tank, white gas tank. And right. and I would use that not very often. Um, I think I used it... I used that when I got into the Seminole Reservoir. Uh, when I got to the actual reservoir, I used it there because I had water to clean up. And, yeah. then, I would, and then I used it... Uh, when I got to Sweetwater River was probably the next time I used it after that. So mm-hmm. that's like four or five days later. And the reason why is, again, because of the water yeah. consumption. Well, people don't realize you you, you got to wash. always have to have water whenever you're cooking in those things. You're boiling water. So what you're cooking, you need water for. And then if you want to stay sanitary, you've got to clean it up. Well, not just sanitary. Well. You don't want to have bears, <laughs> bears, coyotes, yeah, right. you know, pumas, yeah, cougars, right. shit like that. Um, right. So, yeah, I would never cook if I didn't feel like I had the water to spare. That's why I quit carrying that thing because you have to you have to have a lot of water, at least right. access to it in order to really use that stuff effectively. To right. me, it's just easier to throw. If I'm going to use water, I'm going to just throw it in cold oatmeal or cold right, ramen yeah. noodles and be well, done and that's, with it. Hitching-wise, that's yeah. what I ended up doing was getting... Well, no, I think I got that trick from the walk, wasn't it? Because I, I passed that along to you when you started hitching was right. those cold oatmeal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you I don't think even. I was need, doing that in the walk. Yeah, Ingrid and I were doing that in Georgia. Yeah, you don't even. You don't need hot water for oatmeal. You can just throw water in, in those plastic or the paper. The uh, little foil wrap things. Yeah, yeah they 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 hold water long enough to let the water absorb into the oatmeal and eat it. Yeah, you don't need. Yeah, that's you your just, bowl. Yeah, and you just throw that away. And yeah. You don't have any cleanup. You just have to basically wash your spoon. You just lick your spoon clean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what we would do. <laughs> and I like the ramen thing because it's light. It's fucking twenty cents a packet. Right. You don't get a lot of nutrition, so you want them. I, I was carrying Maltese, but right. yeah, I mean, just to get something in your stomach, give you a little energy, you can throw the cold water on the ramen. It tastes like ass, but you put it in your coffee mug. Right. Throw some. I would occasionally throw coffee in there because it tasted like shit. But you get the caffeine buzz out of it. You get a little food in you. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's disgusting. Anyway. Well, that's why, yeah, like Sweet River, that's what I was saying at the mm-hmm. at the Sweetwater River. It's, I cooked up there because yeah. I had plenty of, sure. you know, and that was the first like real meal I was eating uh, other than the, the diner that I'd had like four or five days earlier. I think I cooked the morning that I was in bear oil before I left or I just had oatmeal or something. But yeah, so other than that, through the de- through the basin, I was mostly just eating Cliff bars. Let's talk about Cliff for a second because yeah. we just talked about the food. You got a spon- did you get a sponsorship or did you? I did. Sponsor- yeah, it wasn't really sponsorship. They gave you product, no. Right? I just told them I was like <laughs> I I was manipulative. I wrote to their website on their like whatever 
leave a comment kind of thing. And my comment was, oh, my girlfriend and I really love eating your cliff bars while we're walking across the USA. Thanks. <laughs> so I never asked. Yeah. <laughs> and, what did they say? and then they wrote back and they said, oh, yeah, if you get a picture of you guys eating, we'll, you know, we'll send you guys two cases. And so they sent two cases to the next spot and we did our best to do a decent picture, but they all came out pretty lame. How many uh, were in a case? I think it's 12 in a case, so they got like 24. Oh, that's it. I thought you got more than that. I thought they like sent them to you repeatedly. No, no, just the one. That's cool. That's still pretty good. That's, that's still, I mean, cheap. that was big savings. Yeah. yeah, it's what, 30 bucks at least back then, right? Or 25. They were like two or three bucks a bar, I think, even then. 250, I think. Really? I think so. I don't know. We found places where they were like buck 25, or we found one place in Georgia where it was like 25 cents. Well, fuck yeah, you buy them up. Yeah, we bought <laughs> the buy shit out up. of those. Yeah, but um, yeah. so that's what I was eating. That's why I ate so much. Yeah, but that's why I was so hungry when I was walking down the road, getting into Pinedale, and was just like, I don't even know what the fuck I'm doing. I feel really depressed. And I was thinking about, you know, I was just kind of like, what the hell am I doing way out here in the middle of nowhere? What am I accomplishing? Nothing. <laughs> you know, everything yeah. looks like shit. And then I got in there and I ate, and literally, I remember laughing about this. Literally. When I, I walked another six miles after that and was was like, I was thinking about my wake or a funeral and I was like just cracking up because I was thinking about like a video to leave yeah. for that. <laughs> and I was like running through my head like what I would say. And it was I was just like laughing. I looked like a crazy person. Because I was like <laughs> laughing out loud for six miles, and I was like singing and dancing a little yeah, bit you're loopy. on the road. Yeah, 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 I was. Yeah, just everything's light. All yeah, of a sudden, I just yeah. remember that it was a funeral. It was my own funeral that I was thinking about <laughs> that was cracking me up. <laughs> I mean, maybe that had to do with my mom saying, you know, I'd just talked to my mom on the phone, and let her know I was alive, and she had told me yeah. if I hadn't called her that night, she was going to call the state troopers. Yeah, and have them go look for my body somewhere. So I think that probably put me on the funeral mindset, but I've experienced that several times. Like I would uh, be like, just like one day, just down in the dumps. Everything sucks. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing out here. Why the fuck am I sleeping in the goddamn ditch? Just Mm -hmm. shut the fuck up, you fucking dog. You know that kind of crap. And then the next day, or maybe even later the day, I'll throw my headphones on. Mm -hmm. I, I use music a lot. I don't think you did, Uh, but I would put my headphones on, and all of a sudden, my mood, like boom. I don't mm-hmm. know what it was. Maybe I ate something, got some water in me. For me, usually it was food. It might have been. But I would be like just skipping down. Everything's mm-hmm. fucking wonderful again. I'm waving at cars. Oh, you sweet little dog. Are you singing to me? You know, it's just like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Just, uh, th- those moods that you go through. And those uh, those peaks, those valleys are really weird. But those light moments, mm-hmm. when you're, like on the side of the road, I've, I've yeah, got, especially when you're, when you're hitchhiking. Yeah. And you're like, hey, hi there. And you get the scowl back, but you don't care. Right. Well, that that's like that that whole scene in uh, Into the Wild when they have him sitting on the side of the road and he's talking to the apple. Yeah. That's, like that. Yeah. I just, I love that because it cracks me up. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Totally I'm, see that. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a weird euphoria that, that can kind of stray. And, you know, I think maybe it's an energy where you kind of connect with what you're doing and being out. Great. Yeah. I mean, someone could drive, drive by, splash mud all over you, and then punch you in the face. You're like, ah. yeah, thanks. <laughs> Part of the experience. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, right. All I've right. never been punched in the face. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> so you reach civilization again. You've contacted your mom. She's now sending the state troopers out to look for your body. Mm-hmm. And you're somewhere around the Tetons, right? A little bit yeah, west of there. Yeah, that was in Pinedale. Yeah. So. 
And then, or no, it wasn't in Pinedale. It was in uh, Boulder, Wyoming. Okay. Um, but or something like that. But uh, yeah. And then next day, or next few days, got out of Wyoming, got into Idaho. Boise or Idaho. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was a few days of walking to that. I, actually, I had to fly home. I got into Idaho Falls because I was trying to make a bus. Because uh, I had to take a bus from Idaho Falls to Boise to fly out of Boise to back home in Massachusetts because my cousin was getting married. Oh, okay. So I went home for like two, three days and then came back, flew back into Boise, bust back. Oh, and in that flight, they stole my fucking Leatherman. I remember you telling me about that. Yeah, I had it strapped to the side of my backpack, wrapped in plastic, checked under the, under the uh, plane. And they cut through the fucking plastic and took my Leatherman. <coughs> Jerks. So this is why I don't check baggage anymore. Because that's happened a number of times. Yeah. So then flew back to Boise, bust back to Idaho Falls, then walked across the Snake River Plain yeah, over awesome. to Arco. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, the Snake River Plain is fucking wide. It was yeah. like uh, 60 miles. I don't know. It took me two nights to get across. Yeah. For sure. I camped just outside on the other side of Arco. Uh-huh. Um, you went through a little, a little bit north. You were, what road are you on here? Is it 20? 20? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you went through north. I, I took the interstate. Yeah, that's out. where the military came out and was like, "Yeah, that's... don't camp more than 15 feet off the road. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> yes, and actually, that's when I met my good friend Emily. Uh, I was walking along, and the Snake River Plains is just flat, 60 miles or so of just nothing, you know, just totally, totally flat. And there was an electrical storm, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff at one point. Got a really nice picture of lightning striking the ground out there. Sweet. Um, doing a long exposure. Film camera? Yeah, yeah, I was mm-hmm. carrying a film camera. Yeah, one day I'm walking along and a really cute girl stops to offer me a ride. And I do my, oh, no, I'm walking cross country. And it happened to be that that was like 50 feet away from the only rest stop on that whole stretch. And she's like, wow, I got food in my car. You want to eat? And I was like, yeah, yes. I do. <laughs> you're really cute. Yes. I'm not even hungry. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, so we pulled over. We ended up in that rest stop for like three hours just chatting it up. That was, that was awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. I've got a picture of her there. Uh, she's got a picture of me there. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was on a road trip kind of doing some soul searching, driving around, changing her yeah, life. Yeah, you find each other, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, our you're- birthdays were like two weeks apart, same age, everything. And uh, and we're still in touch these days. Just a really nice connection. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, then kept. Well, I mean, do you think basically, that just kept walking through. How often do you think that happens? Because I've I've noticed that mm-hmm. a lot of people that have picked me up. This isn't a pickup, but you know, she stopped and, right. and talked to you. Well, later her. on, like five years later, she told me she stopped because she thought I was cute too. So oh, well, that helps. Yeah. <laughs> you feel good about yourself now. I do. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if she was on a soul searching thing and she thought you were cute. That makes sense. But I, I, I wonder how many people, in your experience, maybe we're moving forward a year, but have stopped because they sort of sub- subconsciously or psycho- psychologically identify with what you're doing because they're experiencing something. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? It's. It, I mean, I've had people tell me that. I mean, like people like uh, what. Coming out of upstate New York, I think, mm-hmm. going across the Poughkeepsie Bridge, I yep. think, was one of them. Um, a guy stopped. He picked me up. He's like, I just picked you up because I haven't seen a hitchhiker in 20 years. Yeah, I've had that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I yep. mean, I've gotten that People a still of do this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people want to talk about it. And they want to talk about what you're doing and, and why you're doing it, you know? I mean, one of the most interesting experiences, you want to talk about Wyoming, was getting picked up in, uh, uh, what's that one in the south? 
western corner, Evergreen or Green, I don't know, whatever it is. The Green River? No. No, where am I thinking? That's, 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 that's Utah. Colorado. Utah, isn't it? Or maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Somewhere over in, in uh, Wyoming, I was sitting at a truck stop, and I'm hitching out of there. I was just sitting in front of the trash can or something like that, <laughs> sipping on a coffee. Yeah. Didn't even have my thumb out or anything. I was just sitting there with my bag. And uh, a guy walks by, a real cowboy kind of guy, walks by, doesn't say anything to me, and just, you know, like, swips his hand, yeah, like, yeah. come on, you yeah. know? I was like, oh, okay. So I get up, and uh, he's, I think he did say, like, where are you headed? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm going to Rollins. Because I would always say, would it, Wyoming's so big, the next exit's about 30 miles away. So yeah. I would always just say the next exit, because you don't want to get stuck right. in the car. Yeah. I also didn't want to obligate have yeah, put them can, in an awkward com- right. and you can always upgrade your seat later on exactly you know, if you get along well right i would do that for both sides for myself and for the yeah. driver so if they didn't like me and then it wasn't awkward for them to chuck me out yeah you know and so anyways we get in the car and we're just pulling out of the gas station at this point and he says like uh oh so what's what's in rollins hmm. you know you can just tell by the insinuation of the voice or the tone of the voice mm-hmm. That he thinks that I'm a guy who's a good guy, just, uh, you know, down on his luck trying to get to the next job and, you know, take care of my, myself or my folks or whatever. And I was like, oh, you know, nothing really. <laughs> <laughs> just like, I'm like, I'm trying to, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know how the conversation went, but basically it came out pretty quickly that I was like, I'm, I'm not destitute or anything. I'm hitching by choice. I'm mm-hmm. trying to get to the East Coast for my dad's birthday and, uh, but I'm. This is what I'm doing, and he goes, "Oh, <laughs> you know," and kind of like you could tell I was getting out in Rollins, right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and he goes, "Well, I will, I'm going to bore you to death now. I've been listening to this tape, and I'm going to pop it in." And so he pops in this tape. It's a documentary about Jackson, which uh, President Jackson, mm-hmm. and it was at the point where Jackson takes on the banks, the central banks, um, and that's a story I really like. Uh, and this was in sometime in 2009 or 10 or something like that. It was still very shortly after the, the crash in 08. And so it starts talking about that. I was like, oh, I really like this, this part. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, this is when he, he takes out the, the banks. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah okay. You know, you yeah, yeah, get yeah. a little hook of interest. Like, sure. okay, this guy's not dumb. Right. Or, or not too dumb, at least, <laughs> you know. Anyways, it sparked this conversation of me talking about, like, oh, I feel like this is what needs to happen now. Like, we need, we mm-hmm. need to get rid of the Fed, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, basically it was rebuilt. And I kind of, like, went into what I know about the 1913, like, J.P. Morgan, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And he... He was like a tea partier. And so he's really into that. You know, he starts talking about it and it comes out through this conversation before we hit Rollins that, yeah, I'm out here because I I don't trust the media. I don't trust what I'm seeing or hearing Mm -hmm. through the TV. So I just wanted to come out and see it for myself. He drove me all the way to Laramie. Which is a good stretch further than Rollins. Yeah, it was like a three-hour ride rather than a half-an-hour ride. And when he dropped me off... You know, he's like, I wish I could buy you lunch because I, I got to yeah. go to this lecture now. But, you know, I was really enjoyed meeting you and talking with you. Yeah. And just to, you know, to see that shift is, uh, is just fascinating. One of the things that you have to do, I think, in your own interest, 
trying to engage people in the car. I mean, it's we, we, we've always had the... Well, and of, on their own terms. It has to be on their own it's terms. their yeah, car. <laughs> right, right. But a lot of people pick you up. A lot of people will pick you up because they want to talk, they want to hear what you have to say, or, or they, they just want, want another body in the car. Or they want to tell you what they have to say. Right. Do they want to listen, right. talk, or just sit? But it, you have to be able to read that once you get in there, and you have to be able to engage it on their terms, exactly like mm-hmm. you said. If they want to talk, you let them. Mm-hmm. And you don't sit there and argue. Nod your head. Appear agreeable unless they want right. No, to get but I would. I would also. So there was a trucker from Texas mm-hmm. who gave me a ride, and I uh, rode with him for three days. Yeah. Uh, he picked me up in Nebraska. He dropped me off in in New York, and he and I got along great. But at one point, we're driving along. Granted, this was the second day, so we were already pretty familiar with each other. But he said, out of nowhere, goes, "You know what I think about America? You know what I love about America?" We didn't spill a drop of blood for this place. (laughs) He's like, we purchased every little bit of it. Did we? And, you know, what do you do there? Do you you not along? Do you not along because it's his truck? Yes. I didn't. Well, I, yeah. No, but I, you know, I was Uh, like, I, I was like, well, I think there's a couple hundred nations that might disagree with you on that. That's, that's a really good question. Because I ran into this guy, this kid, in a, in a truck again. And this kid, mm-hmm. this guy was like 22. He's brain dead. But he right. thought he was, as I described in the blog, he thought he was the second coming of Cicero. Right. You know, like a political expert. And I had to gauge. <laughs> you know, maybe, and you've been in the truck with this guy oh, for a sure. day now, right? So you kind of knew him. And I, I think you could understand how far, how this would go. Well, probably, and, that's, right? and that's why I wanted to say, like, this yeah. was the second day, which yeah. is important. I probably that's wouldn't huge. have done that. Like an Five hour in, in, you know. <laughs> yeah, this kid was. Uh, I'm not going to reach him. I am not going to be able to convince him, and he's not smart enough to change his mind. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to let him go. And I sat in that seat. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, and about 15 minutes in, oh boy, I've been sitting out in the sun for like three hours, dude. I, I think I need to take a nap. Is it all right? Do you mind? But I didn't want to listen to that. And I sure as I wanted the ride. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I had been sitting out in the sun for three hours and right. I was trying to get down to this. He was taking me probably 300 miles up. He just got gas. Right. He was going to drive me out. So I was like, all right, I got to, you, you have to weigh it. Yeah. 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 What's the outcome? Well, no, and I knew yeah. I wasn't changing this guy's mind. But yeah, but you also knew did. that the, if you challenged him, he wasn't going to throw you out five right. minutes up the road. So you could actually have a debate after you know knowing right. him. For, and we did. We had yeah. an interesting conversation. Sure. I mean, it spun from you know me saying, "Well, I think there's a couple hundred nations that might disagree with you," into like, oh, you know, he starts mm-hmm. throwing out the Manhattan purchase and the Louisiana purchase and uh, buying Alaska and all that stuff. And I was yeah. like, yeah, well, they're, I mean, we bought those from European powers. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> you know, yeah, there right. were people there before that. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and I got into some of the Indian wars and he, he said, well, freedom isn't free. <laughs> I was like, well, all right, well, that's fair, but you know, that's not where we started. Right. You know? <laughs> and that kind of ended the conversation, yeah. you know, it yeah. didn't go much further than that. Mm. Um, but I felt good cause I felt like I didn't, wasn't just sitting there listening to <laughs> like yeah, right. shit that I didn't want to hear, yeah. uh, without saying anything, but I also wasn't, wasn't trying to change this guy's mind. It's a real skill. Yeah. It, it's a real skill to get in a car. And I've talked about this to a lot of people. Like I, I've turned rides down. Not very, you know, I haven't had to do that very often. But you have to make a quick judgment. A, when you're getting in the car, you have to look somebody in the face. Right. Is this a, a ride I yeah. feel good about? And if you don't, you don't take it. Right. You figure out some reason not to, or ways, and you have a cash of. Have Have you ever not taken a ride? A couple. Yeah, it hasn't. It doesn't. It hasn't happened very often. Yeah, I've never not taken one. Yeah, I have. It usually they're looking at me really shifty. 
Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about with the homeless guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, look at me up and down. They usually have a really fucking disingenuous smile on their face. They're right. too friendly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's yeah. like, yeah, well, I ask them, well, how far are you going? And I usually say, well, I'm trying to get farther. That's where I overshoot as an excuse not to get in the car. Right, yeah. You see what I mean? Right, right, right. <laughs> but yeah, it happens every now and then. When you get in the car, it's a real skill, but you have to understand it quickly how you need to approach it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you, you you read the energy in the vehicle and ride it. Right, yeah, yeah. And let them sort no, of that's true. determine it. Right, yeah. <clears throat> but that starts, you know, as soon as they pull over. Yeah. You have to walk up, look them in the eye and... Uh, yeah, because I think my turn down would be like, I'd have to recognize it right away because then I would probably turn to, well... You know, I'm actually not hitching. I just wanted to ask you, is this place over here? (laughs) Yeah, right, 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 right. You know, something like that. For me, anyway, it turns into it's sort of an unconscious act. It's your gut. Yeah, it's your feeling. You don't think about it. You Mm -hmm. don't really, you know, you're not having a cognitive debate with yourself and your mind about whether or not you're going to get the car. You just read it, feel it, do it. Yeah. And, no, and I and think it, it's kind of like that Olympian that we just saw tonight. The the, the Oh, she thought too much. She yeah. thought too much. And yeah. I think if you sit there and if you let logic get into that argument, you're going to fuck up. Yeah. All right. So we're in, uh, you're back in uh, Idaho Springs or Idaho Falls? Idaho Falls. Falls. Well, and across the Snake River Plain. I mean, yeah. I don't know how much farther it's just, I mean, basically I just walked back to Seattle. Yeah, whatever you at want. At that man. point. Yeah. You went through Boise. Yeah. Well, I met Lex actually along the way. He is an yeah. interesting character. Well, we can talk about him. Uh, we're going to do the hitchhiking stuff and he comes up later on. Yeah. Uh, when we're in Phoenix after Slap City. Yeah. So he was kind of just south of Sun Valley. Yeah. And um, get walking along on 20 and him, Lex and Val. They pulled over on their van and they're asking me if I need a ride or anything. Mm. It was my same. I'm like, no, I'm walking cross country. And he goes, well, shit, I did that on horseback a few years ago, <laughs> you know, back in the 80s or whatever he said, 70s, I guess. And um, I was like, no shit. They were super sweet. They're like, did you see, did you hit that hot, the hot springs? Like back the road, and I was like, no, I didn't even see it. No, oh, we're gonna, we're just coming from there. We'll bring you back there. So they drove me back ten miles, nice. set up their lawn chairs, and, and waited you, while you, I went wow. in and just soaked on my own. That's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. really cool. I felt really awkward about it. I stayed like ten minutes, and I was like, oh, I think I need to get out of here. Um, but yeah, and then came back. And they dropped me off where they picked me up, and uh, they offered to bring me into town and buy me breakfast and we were just outside of town when they picked me up so i said no no i like to walk like every step you know and they're like yeah that's fine so they dropped me off where i was and they went and i met them in the restaurant and uh we had breakfast and they said well if you make it over this far we're about 20 miles down the road and this was the beginning of the day and they're like you're welcome to stay with us it was around fourth of july that's what it was um so they invited me to stay fourth of july with them Anyways, they were just really cool. I I did. I walked, and at the end of the day, I got to their place and stayed with them for two or three nights. In fact, they encouraged me to uh, not rush so much. Yeah. Uh, Along with a lot of other people were encouraging me not to rush so much because I was more, I was like pushing all the time of like, ooh, no, I need to make my miles today because that's my budget. (laughs) You know, if I don't walk at all, I can't spend any money that day. Or I got to make it up with more miles later on. Anyways, he was, uh, he was, a guy who was born in the in Czechoslovakia back in forty three. So he was born into Nazi occupied Czechoslovakia. The Nazis had left his family alone. They were a wealthy Christian family. But the Soviets, when they came in and were running the, the Germans out, uh, they went through 
burning and uh, burning down all the wealthy homes out of the communist agenda, mm-hmm. and his family was taken out. They had managed to flee the house, um, but were caught later on and uh, sent to t- concentration camps in like 45, 46. Soviet concentration, so, Soviet yeah. concentration camps. Uh, he was tortured as like a six-year-old for I don't know what, but he <laughs> that's why he liked hot springs so much. Mm-hmm. They were torturing him with cold water. You know, wow. in like winter times and stuff. So he hated cold water. Yeah. He would not go anywhere near cold water. He wouldn't go in any hot spring that was less than 100 degrees. And then uh, somehow him and his brother and sister all managed to escape. They were transferring them, I think, or something like that. And they managed to get out of the truck and make a run for it. Got into a tangle with, uh, it was in American-occupied Germany. They managed to get across the border. This is in the early 50s before the wall was up. And but he's how old again at this point? He's like seven, eight. Well, yeah, it'd be okay. like 1950. So 70, seven, yes. seven or eight. Yeah, something like that. Uh, I think his brother was killed in that skirmish. And then the Americans, they managed to get to the Americans. The Americans took him in and they shipped him over to New York. Wow. So then he grew up in 1950s New York. So he had a ton of stories about that as an immigrant, yeah. you know, as a refugee immigrant. And that was just fascinating to hear about that. Mm-hmm. And then in the 60s, he got into horses. He got married uh, when he was like 20 or something like that. He was over in Vietnam in like like 63 or 64, you know, back yeah. before anybody knew anything about it. Yeah, right. Back when the M16s m- were melting, he would tell me about like firing M16s at the VC and watching the barrel just... Because they were poorly made in the beginning. Uh, they couldn't handle the heat. Uh, so he had some stories about that. And then when he got back, I think he had a son with his wife. And uh, he lived on Long Island with a horse farm. And um, it was in the midst of really developing Long Island. And they told him he had to get rid of his horses. Uh, I think his wife had left him, actually, at this point. And he always told us, they told me to get rid of my horses. I got rid of them. so he shipped his horses over to philadelphia from there him and his four-year-old son started riding their horses across the u.s following power lines wow basically and then they would stop each school year uh for his son and so there they just like set up shop wherever they were at and mm -hmm. go to school there. yeah what he was doing was he was breeding the horses and and uh working as a farrier i think the whole way across they did that for 13 years that kid was 16 by the time they got to Boise. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. And he got away. The only reason he stopped in Boise was because that's where he met Val. Val was a, a, a nurse from Switzerland. I don't know why she was in the U.S., but she was. And they, I don't know, fell in love, got married, settled down, or stayed in Idaho. Yeah. The thought that entered my head when you were telling me that. It's like, life might not <clears throat> seem that daunting. Right, yeah. After it starts that way and you experience that to get the fuck out of Czechoslovakia. Well, and think about the America he's riding across. Yeah, it's 1967 yeah, right. until 1980. Right. You know, I mean, like, it's going through Pennsylvania, Ohio, all those in like 67, 68, yeah, right 69. Kent State. Yeah, exactly. Uh, counterculture yeah. and all that. You know, the hippies are everywhere. Yeah, right. That's an interesting time period. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, to be out there doing that. And then where is he during Kent State and Altamont? You know, uh, yeah, when, then know. everything yeah. changes. You know, I mean, it's like he's he's immersed in authentic America mm. during this massive change. Right. You know, that had to be fucking fascinating. Yeah. I kind of want to do it. I just, horses hate me. 
<laughs> but yeah, so he was a really cool character that that I met. And and they treated me like a son, basically. I mean, they were like... This is one of the few uh, that I've met. They were snowbirds. In, yeah, they winter in Arizona, and we left uh, Slab City. Then We'll get into all that, I think, in the next one. But they're really great people. We had some really interesting conversations yeah. at that place. It was really neat. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really neat. Yeah, they're cool people. So you met these guys in, uh, right around Boise-ish, right? I met them in uh, just south of Sun Valley, so in the middle. Middle, okay. Middle of the yeah, state. Yeah. And then, actually, their son, the one who had been on the this horse ride mm-hmm. the one who grew up on it yeah. essentially uh he was in boise okay and so he put me up his dad called ahead you mm-hmm. know and said oh there's this guy he's walking across country <laughs> you know so yeah. so i met him uh glenn actually that's the same I, guy who he was managing a hotel yeah yeah, uh, yeah when yeah. i came to visit you and he put oh, me nice. up in the king suite and told the hotel that uh yeah. that i was a, a journalist and yeah. that I should be taken care of in every way. <laughs> yeah, I remember I, I met Lex and Val then. They dropped you back off at Lynette's house. Yeah. Uh-huh. You guys went to a ball game or something. Yeah, like they that, came by and took our picture in front yeah. of their house or something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's where I got Boise from because I, right. I ran into him and, yeah, okay. Yeah, actually down that road just shortly after meeting them, maybe a day or two later after leaving them, I was walking along the road. I used to have that the little American flag mm-hmm. uh, hanging off the back of my pack. Yeah. That's why a lot of people would think I was a veteran. Yep. Um, <laughs> that wasn't my intention at all. And I would, I would you know, tell them immediately, yeah. no, no, I'm not. Because yeah. uh, actually two days after I left Georgia was the beginning of the Gulf War. I left March 18th and started March 20th. Right. Anyways, this truck swung around and this lady's in there and she pulls up next to me and she goes, you don't need a ride, do you? And I was like, no, how'd you know that? She's like, are you walking across the country? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, how do you know that? And she's like, well, I did the same thing about nine years ago, going the opposite direction down this same road. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So she put me up uh, that night and uh, and she and I just stayed up for a long time talking about the differences. So that was in 2004. She had done it in 1995. Mm-hmm. And she was saying, oh, you must love it whenever you get to a post office. And I was like, why? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. which would kind of probably be the same reaction if I ran across somebody now who was walking cross country and I, not thinking, would say like, oh, you must love it when you get to a library. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. she loved the post offices because in 95, I mean, there wasn't really internet. And, you know, she was getting care packages. Yeah. So she'd stop in every post office oh, she came is, across. It's like the Appalachian or uh, PCT stuff. You know, you have people send it to send you to resupply you mm-hmm. uh, along the way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. she was doing that method. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just comparing. And she she says, you know, back then when I was walking, that that Forrest Gump movie had just come out, and mm-hmm. everyone just kept saying, "Oh, you're just like Forrest Gump." And I was like, "Oh yeah, they still tell me yeah. that now." And uh-huh. she's like, "Seriously, nine years later, they're still giving you the gum?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. She was cool, though. I can't remember her name at all, but she was really cool. And uh, she actually met her husband there uh, while walking in that town that she was living in. Uh, going through it, he was a photographer for the newspaper, the local newspaper. Came out and, photographer. Yeah, and that's yeah. how they got to know each other. It was her and three other friends of hers at the time. All women left mm-hmm. out of Seattle and went to uh, Delaware, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah, anyways, they got along great. And so he would periodically fly out to wherever she was going as the rest of her friends kind of like fell off that walk. And he would walk parts with her. And in the end, they got married. Nice. So that was pretty cool. 
So anyways, that was Idaho. And then getting into, yeah, I got into Oregon after that and kind of went up some back roads. And, oh, you, uh, did get, you did go into Oregon a little bit, didn't you? Yeah, I went I thought, through Legrand. We yeah, yeah, talked I about before that. Baker. I always, I always forget that. I always uh, see you going straight from Idaho into Washington. But yeah, you did. You no, I tried to, but you can't. <laughs> not, not, not from Boise. Mm-hmm. No, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, uh, you had to go up to like McCall or something like that. You had to go like, is it McCall? Did you go straight north? Maybe yeah, I, I, don't I, I don't know. I don't know that area very well. Yeah, we're three and a half hours in. My my faculties are <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, I mean, I don't know really know what else is left on the that. I mean, from then on, I was just kind of power walking my way yeah. out of it. Yeah. I mean, I had I met some cool people. I met a, a decathlon athlete. Athlete. Mm-hmm. This is 2004. I met a decathlon athlete who was a Normandy veteran. So he was a current decathlon veteran. Yes. Uh, athlete he was who still had been in a, Normandy. Yeah. So you figure minimum, he's born in 1926. So what's that, 78? Yeah, something like that. Your math's better than mine at this point. Yeah, I think that's right. Sun Valley, we're through Boise, Lexon Val, and you met, uh, what's their son's name? Glenn. Glenn, so you yeah. met Glenn, yeah. They had another son. Lexon Val actually had a son. Yeah. Uh, he was with them in, in Sun Valley. Okay. Can't remember his name. Yeah. Though. I think you met him, actually. Might. I met somebody there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Anyway, you're, you're through Oregon. You've gone through Grand, Great little town, by the way. Yeah. Uh, oh, we talked about the decathlon guy. Yeah, the Normandy right. right. Uh, so, yeah, we're uh, through Oregon. We're into, I guess, southeast Washington at some point. Right? Where did you cross mm, Yeah, that? I kind of I got over to Amatilla. How did you cross the Columbia? Out of Amatilla. Okay. Amatilla was like... Yeah, I just went over a bridge there, and then... Where's that in relation to the Dalles? I know that name. It's still east. It is, okay. But it's kind of in the center. Like, where I came up was kind of the center of Washington. Okay. Uh, and then we got up through, like, Yakima, over Rainier. Yeah, went to this place called the Lone Jack. Uh, that was kind of neat. It was like a little restaurant. Uh, kind of a high-end restaurant for, I don't know, mountaineers or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's it's close to where you cross the Pacific Crest Trail. And uh, I met a guy who was doing the Pacific Crest in parts. And he was there with his dad and he was getting ready to do another part. He invited me to have breakfast with them. I mean, I had gone in to, to get breakfast. Um, and he invited me to go have breakfast with them. And we were chatting and telling them about the walk and all that stuff. It was really cool. He treated me to, to breakfast, which was nice. I mean, that was a pretty common thing. It was like a 50-50 shot that I would end up paying because right. other people would anonymous. That was actually another one in Kansas or Missouri. Uh, I went to a, a diner. Some family paid like anonymously mm-hmm. like specifically anonymously i asked the waitress who yeah. it was and she's yeah. like i can't tell you they said they specifically didn't want didn't you know yeah north dakota in um not minot uh not grand forks williston uh-huh. uh where the walmart generosity all happened you remember that right like, yeah we'll get into that later but i was in a, in a diner that night and i'd gotten dropped off and i was sitting there eating my my burger mm-hmm. and just gorging i was i was really hungry and native american guy he wasn't anonymous, but uh-huh. he, he came over, told the waitress or something that, no, I got this. And I'm like, well, I don't need you to do that. I yeah. got money. I'm only, no, I, I got this. And he was really adamant about it. Yeah, yeah. And he told me later that his brother had been hitchhiking. He was a hitchhiker. Oh, and had cool. been, Well, he'd been hit by a car. Oh, shit. Killed. Oh. And this was his way to kind of honor his brother. And I'm like, I'm not, I can't, how the fuck do you argue with that? Right, yeah, yeah. I don't need you to pay for this. If it makes you feel good. And you want to do this for your brother? 
let me step back. <laughs> right. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Shook his hand. Thank you very much. I appreciate greatly appreciate. But it just really that kind of generosity. Yeah. It's not uncommon. No, no. I, I mean, like I said, like half the time that yeah. I would be in a place, either I would go to pay the bill and it had already been paid. Yeah. Uh, I remember in Missouri, there was a time where I, uh, that had happened. Someone also had anonymously paid the bill. And so I want to leave like a $10 tip. I can't count how many times it happened on the trip in 06 or in 16, rather. Sitting in back in Fort Morgan, I went to pay tribute to Dennis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went through there, took the Amtrak from, from Denver to right. pay homage, you know. And I'm sitting at the same exit. That I was sitting at when Dennis picked me up. Somebody they went over to McDonald's like seven in the morning. Yeah, and they just egg, drop it off with you. Drop off an egg McMuffin, a hash yeah. brown, and then thing of coffee. I've got a thing of coffee. I just paid for it at the gas station. Right, the Canoco. Right, 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 <laughs> right there. And it's but it's awesome. You know they can't they don't they can't give you a ride. They're on their way to work. They maybe they're scared to give you a ride. Whatever, but they want to do they something. Help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this place in Missouri when I tried to leave a ten dollar tip for the waitress because I couldn't pay the you know someone else yeah. had paid the bill. She wouldn't take that either. Yeah. And, you know, that's straight for her, you know, and she I'm trying to give it back and and she's trying to give it back to me or like not receiving it. And I, so I'd put it on the table yeah. and finally another waitress came over, grabbed it and shoved it in my bedroll so I couldn't. Yeah. Couldn't get at it. Yeah. I mean, this is the common theme. I mean, I, we're going to we, we're going to finish uh, Washington up. I mean, you obviously walked around across the rest of Washington right. into Seattle mm-hmm. and you've got to be just euphoric. At this point, because you've been pushing since Denver to end this thing, right? Or yeah, well, since Wyoming. What was nice was, um, so I'm coming into Seattle. My sister lives out in Seattle, which mm-hmm. was why that was kind of the target goal. Yeah. I also liked the diagonal mm-hmm. across the country. And so she came out and she met me and walked me in the last like 10 miles or so, mm-hmm. I think, something That's like nice. that. Yeah. yeah. And she had like, she's an organizer. She had called like news networks and, and like nice <laughs> like putting this thing up on on craigslist press and press release style <laughs> yeah made like a little party at the yeah, end yeah, she yeah. uh made a big blanket that i thought that was that was the sweetest part of the whole thing so there was a news crew when they got there and they looked bored as fuck you know i get in there and uh my sister and i had a great visit on the way in and come up to this news crew guy. It's just this guy. He looks really bored. He's on the B-roll team, you know. <laughs> and he just looks at me and he puts the mic in my face and he's like, "So, why'd you do it?" <laughs> I was like, "Just for this, just so you could be here <laughs> yeah. when I ended it, Sparky." Yeah, I was like, "Fuck you." I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Go home. <laughs> I think that was my answer. <laughs> That's awesome. I, was like, I don't know. When did they use I it? I just wanted to. When did they used it? <laughs> They didn't. Yeah. We watched the news. Yeah. There was nothing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then I went and I dipped my feet in the water and, mm. and we had a little picnic. And But my sister had made this blanket. So to me, the heart of the whole thing had become this blog uh, that I had because right. right. it had this guest book and the guest book became a rapport back and forth right. to the for these people that I had met across the 3,200 miles that I had just walked. I had people following me all the way from Georgia all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's this lady Bonnie that I met who, um, I don't know, somewhere in her 60s maybe, who was following me from the beginning and checking in. If she didn't mm-hmm. hear from me, she was checking in when I was lost in Wyoming, asking if I'm okay, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, trying to reach people. Yeah. There was a team of librarians out of a county library in Tennessee who mm-hmm. they'd keep checking and they'd always sign like the, yeah. this county librarians, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Same in Missouri. There's another team of librarians who were following me. And so anyways, my sister had made this blanket that had the had the outline, kind of a vague representation of CDS. the U.S. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Uh, with Savannah, Denver, and, and Seattle starred along the way yeah. as like the major stopping points. And then she had written everyone. She called my friend who is running the, the website, asked her if it was possible to get the email list of everyone who had signed into the guest book, and then made an, a mass email and just said, hey, I know uh, my brother's getting into Seattle soon. This is his sister, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and he's, uh, I'm putting together this blanket, and, and I know that you guys have all been a major part of this journey for him and that he seems to have been a major part for you if you have anything you want to relay to him or say to him please write me and i'll put it on this blanket and it was really sweet yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) so i get in and i see this blanket hanging there you know in front of a picnic and a bunch of people i mean some of them were friends of mine who i didn't even know were actually going to be in seattle yeah Others were just random people who saw a post on Craigslist that said, oh, yeah, this guy's coming in from walking across the country. There's a picnic. Why don't you come? Woo! Yeah, and some <laughs> of them were her friends. And yeah. Anyways, I get up there, and I look at this blanket, and I see the notes everywhere, and I see, like, my friend Gus, and I see my friend Lee in Denver, and I see... I see familiar names, and then I see, like, Bonnie Bruce. I was like, wait a second, she's in the... And then I started noticing, little by little... That these were um, like a large chunk of the names and the notes that were on there were people that I had met along the walk. And it like blew my mind, one that, that could even get on this blanket. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> how do you get in touch with those people? Right. I'm not very technologically advanced, so I, <laughs> you know. But yeah, it was just a really super sweet thing, and it's still a very special blanket for yeah, me, so but it represented... It. Yeah, I had you, it as a curtain at yeah, the Yeah, I saw that, yeah. Um, unfortunately, because now the sun has faded a lot of what was on there. But yeah, but yeah it really was a nice way to wrap up the whole walk because mm-hmm. it, it was really about the people and right. it was about this this communication between me and these people that I was meeting along the way that it wasn't just fleeting mm-hmm. like hitching was. Hitching was pretty much... Uh, you get in a car, you get out of a car. I mean, some of them Pretty much, yeah. I stayed in touch with, but not many of them. But with the walk, it was like, I mean, by the end, I had something like 5,000 followers or something like that yeah. on the blog. That website, the, the guest book, was a huge thing for me because yeah. that was a lot of why I was popping into mm-hmm. the libraries every day. That was the motivator. Well, you impressed that on me very, very heavily mm-hmm. uh, when I started doing my stuff in 08. And I that was one of the reasons that I... Uh, I started, I, one of the reasons, not mm-hmm. the reason, but one of the reasons that I actually started the blog, the actual blog that I did on Blogger, mm-hmm. was that uh, I put a guest book up on there based mm-hmm. on what you told me. And it, I didn't get nearly the, obviously the... I didn't either yeah. when I did, I did because I did the same when I started well, Facebook, hitching, and it's Facebook, different. Facebook was a, uh, a thing by then. So I think social, right. actual social, it reminds me of social media. I think it, the event was different too. The guest book that you did was in 0304. Facebook wasn't even invented, I don't think yet. Right. So that was our version or your version mm-hmm. of social media. You mm-hmm. had to actually, and but it became something that people, that you could take with you. You could take these people and you could stay in contact with people via this uh, guest book. And then when we started uh, when I started and you started hitchhiking in, in 09, right, yeah, Facebook was, was there. It's lost its special yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it wasn't wasn't the same. They didn't have to go seek you out. Right, yeah. It's just if, if you show up on your feed. feed. Yeah, yeah, it's not the same thing. Well, and all. I think the other thing that I noticed was even my reception in mm-hmm. when hitching as opposed to when walking. My reception when walking had a lot to do with the fact that I was just walking, mm-hmm. that I wasn't taking rides, that yeah. this was a dream that I'd had since I was a kid yeah. and, was, and was doing it. Uh, actually, that's another brief story that I wanted to tell in Georgia when Ingrid was still with me and we were down some real back country road, um, walked into one of those gas station diners and there's three guys at the, at the, at the counter and we walk in and I, I forget what exactly they said, but it was something like, Oh, what do you, I was like, what are you all doing? Or something like that, you know, real contempt in their voice that you could tell was like, dirty hippies, mm-hmm. you know, vagabonds, whatever. Um, and we're like, oh, we're walking cross country. And then there was a 180 flip in their tone. Still not friendly, uh, but you could tell it flipped to trust fund kids. And they said something, it was in the form of a question, but it was like, oh, how did you afford to do that? Or something like that. Like in that sense of like, yeah, great. You got a wealthy mom and dad. And I said, well, I just saved up six months in the of working a coffee shop, so it took me six months to save it up, and now we're doing it. And once they learned that I'd earned it, that I had worked at a, like a shitty job to earn it, uh, we couldn't pay for anything in there. You know, I was like, "Let me get you a burger, let me get you a coke, let me get you coffee." You know, mm-hmm. and and they just loved it. They wanted to hear as much as they could. Yeah. So I think that was the difference that I saw in hitching. Nobody really gave a shit that I was hit, except for that one guy in Wyoming that I told you about who, once he heard the kind of motivation behind it and it sort of fit mm-hmm. his interests as well, you know. I've run into, I think, people who were more impressed by the fact that I would get into random cars. You know what I mean? That right, I had yeah. that, that level of trust and, and self-confidence in, in myself to get myself out of any potential situations. Right, you know, that yeah, I had yeah. the balls to do it. Right. Wanting to see the world with without electronic eyes. I still hold on to that. Right. And that, that kind of resonated with people as well. But yeah, it wasn't... Some people, I think, were impressed by more by the balls it took just to get into a yeah, random car yeah, yeah. truck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anything. Whereas I think with the walk, it was like, yeah, there was the the balls idea as well as this, you're following a dream. And perseverance, too. I mean, that's it takes a lot. That, too, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to go but that far and not quit. I think the main thing was was the dream. I think because everybody's got a dream out there, and and few do them or have the opportunity to. And I think the, they liked that I came, that I, was, that I was doing it. A lot of people have said... Uh, not necessarily give me a ride, but maybe I walk into a gas station mm-hmm. or a truck stop. And they see the backpack. They ask me what I'm doing. I just hitchhike it. I've always wanted to do something like that. Yeah, exactly. You know, but uh-huh. I, but X, there's always that X, you know, that I had kids or I can't afford it yeah. or I might have a bad back yeah. or whatever. Well, and they're real X's, you know. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's, you know, the thing that always grabs me when I get uh, a little discouraged, I guess, when I get out there. I'm, I'm sick of sleeping in the weeds mm-hmm. or something. I remember that. I was right. like, yeah, a lot of people want to do this. I'm pretty fucking lucky. Yeah. Yeah, pretty lucky indeed. Hey, thanks for listening again to the Escaping the Cave podcast, the Tanzilla X-Pod. Got one more episode coming up with Mr. Chris, Friar Chris, Chris Dyson, and it's a good one. We really delve into the uh, stuff we sort of collaborated on, the hitchhiking around the U.S., and we have a, if I do say so myself, a very, very interesting episode that uh, goes into a lot 
of the stuff from 2008, 2009. So I really do hope you tune in for the next one. I'm contemplating doing another episode in between, but uh, we'll see how that goes either way. We'll try to get these things back onto a much more normal, regular schedule now that the move is finally done. So I'll talk to you next time, and until then, so long. Thanks for listening.